All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. We have a packed show coming for you today, starting with the NBA Finals as LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers are set to take on a surprise Eastern Conference finalist in Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. We have plenty of NFL Week 3 action to recap and react to. Of course, highlighted by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs taking down Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. MLB postseason is underway. Brian and I will preview the expanded 16-team postseason field, uh, talk about some of the most interesting early-round matchups, some of the biggest winners and losers of this 2020 format, and of course, give our World Series predictions. And finally, we'll wrap up the show by breaking down the Tampa Bay Lightning's Stanley Cup victory over the Dallas Stars. So lots to get to, and let's get started. Let's get started here. We have a very packed show for you today, and we'll kick things off with the NBA. So the NBA Finals matchup is set to feature the Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat. And the Heat, of course, got there by knocking off the Milwaukee Bucks in a surprise in the conference semifinals and then taking down our Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. So let's start with that. Uh, very disappointing ending for the Celtics. And what are your immediate takeaways from that six-game series loss? Uh, what you just said. It was a super disappointing series for the Celtics. Uh, as as great as the Heat have been this entire postseason, uh, and they deserve to be in the finals, the Celtics have the more talent, and they should have won that series. I mean, game one and two, they were they had it, and especially coming into the fourth quarter, but they Game one and two, they blew they blew two double digit leads, and and then after game two, there was that story of uh, Marcus Smart and others getting in a b- bit of a heated argument and throwing chairs, and and then all of a sudden they turn around in game three and oh and everything's figured out, but no, that was not the case, and they they eventually lost in six, and yeah, pretty disappointing performance. Uh, one thing to note is that Miami improved, really improved their team at the trade deadline, getting Iguodala and Crowder, but and and then Boston didn't really do anything. I, they were in talks of getting Davis Bertans, but they weren't willing to give up multiple first round picks, which is a problem because they keep hoarding all these picks for every draft that end up being meaningless. Now Davis Bertans, he did opt out, but do you think he'd opt out if he were on a championship contending team instead of the Wizards who? didn't even make the playoffs uh, one one could say differently 
Yeah, I mean, I, so I I definitely have have some takes on the uh, the the trade deadline involving Miami. Um, I mean, so the first thing when when I think about this, so if you told me in July 2019, October 2019, February 2020, July August 2020 that the Celtics would make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose, I'd be like, oh, all right, yeah, that's fine. Like throughout that time, that would have either exceeded or reached my expectations and I say hey getting the Eastern Conference Finals like to me they're not the best team in the East that's fine the Milwaukee Bucks are they're the best team in the league they deserve to be the NBA Finals and then if you come in and say well no they didn't lose to the Bucks they lost to the Miami Heat it's just like everything was there for the taking for the Celtics to be able to get to the NBA Finals and like you said they they blew two games early against Miami and it seemed like whenever things were figured out, they would just come out and lose again, uh, like they did in game four and ultimately game six. And game six, was it was a heartbreaker because they were back and forth the whole way. And then the fourth quarter, Miami just stepped up and the Celtics couldn't make shots. And yeah, they're done. It was just so. to- total implosion, especially after Tice went out, which is another big, big issue on their team is that they don't have they didn't have anyone that could contain out of bayou. I mean, the only guy who could even limit him at all was Tice, and even he's not really that a good enough option on the defensive end to limit Adebayo. He 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 just annihilated once once Tice went out. It was it was over from there. Before the start of the series, an anonymous scout, when uh, comparing the Heat and the Celtics, said that Adebayo and Tice that matchup is a wash. That they're just canceling that, each other that, out. It, an all-star and a, and a fringe starter is a wash? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, Adebayo, he was so good for the Heat. He was arguably their best player in this series. Even No, not Jimmy arguably. Butler. Not arguably. He was their best player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it It was... Uh, no, nothing against Jimmy Butler, but Adebayo was the man in the no, series. No, and nothing against Daniel Tice either, because Tice, to me, he's he shouldn't necessarily be a starting no, he, center No, he exceeded expectations. Like, I, I remember coming into the year thinking, wow, they're going to really start Tice? Yeah, and, and he actually was was a pretty good piece for for given his skill set. Yeah, um, I, th- I mean, all that being said, like I feel like one takeaway. So throughout the entire season, there was always the Celtics need to trade for a big man. They need to trade Gordon Hayward for Andre Drummond, or even some people saying they should trade Jason Tatum for Carl Anthony Towns. Like all all of these talks about bringing in a big man and. For the longest time, it never really slowed them down. They were able to get by with uh, Daniel Tice, Ennis Cantor, the the two Williams, Grant and Robert. But ultimately, Bam Adebayo was just better than what the Celtics could offer. And looking forward, it almost feels like Boston needs to make some type of splashy move to they don't, upgrade they, at the center position. They don't need to make those exact moves, but I would like to see some added uh, bench pieces, whether that's pure shooters or big men that can really defend uh, guys like Adebayo, uh, veteran, just vet, maybe veteran players as well. Someone like well, I don't want to say Al Horford, but something, someone <laughs> like that. But uh, like it's like a Tim Duncan at the end of his career, someone like that who knows what it takes to win and and really can Shaquille let the younger guys know that. Yeah, like just, I don't know. <laughs> um, I so one popular name that's been thrown out is Miles Turner of the Indiana Pacers. I like him. Yeah, and 
there there have been reports that uh, Victor Oladipo is ready to leave Indiana, and Turner might be as well. So I, I think Turner would be an interesting I, one. See, the thing is, I I like Oladipo, but that doesn't really fix the problem that the Celtics have. That no, just adds no. on to the the same thing that they already have. Is that like oh, like I mean, they have all these pieces that are small forwards or shooting guards. I mean, they're all that none of them are big men, and they don't really fix the problem that the Celtics have, which is. Just too many guys to give take shots. I don't know. It's just yeah. They, no, they, I they agree. Need big men. Oladipo doesn't make sense. I, I don't know how a Turner trade would work out, but it seems kind of inevitable that the Celtics would either have to move Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward in yeah. order to acquire him. Do you have a preference? If Marcus that were to Smart for sure. Really? Gordon, well, see, Gordon Hayward's contract is just probably impossible to move. But the thing is, oh, Smart. I know he was arguably the MVP of the Raptors series. But yeah. in this series, he drove me insane. With you think someone with the name, the word "smart" in his name would know that <laughs> the shot clock yeah. is twenty four seconds and not four. And every time they move the ball around, he would just hack up a, a three. He took he was four for thirteen in from three point. He shouldn't be taking thirteen threes in a, in any game. He took yeah. that many shot t- that many three pointers in game six, and that just can't happen. And him doing that well from the three-point line in the Raptors series was kind of a detriment to this series because he think he all of a sudden thought he was Steph Curry and could just take any shot he felt like, and it kind of cost the Celtics a little bit. Think, and I just think that when it comes to talent and ego, he's got the worst one, like because because yeah, Tatum, Tatum, Tatum and Brown have big egos, but. They're super. They're the two best players. On they're the team. two best players on the team. And Smart is, yeah, he's been there for six or seven years, but he's he's really a role player more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that. I won't say I have a love hate relationship with Marcus Smart. I've always been a huge fan of him ever since Celtics drafted him, but he can be super frustrating at times because I mean, you talk about the three point shooting. He can be a hero but he's never had the consistent shot. So he just keeps checking it up until it eventually falls. And sometimes the Celtics can survive and he ends up you know, getting all this praise and other times it kills them. So I totally understand that. I personally would rather move on from Gordon Hayward just because his contract is huge. I know it; it's less attractive in terms of a trade. Um, they would have to move at least two first round picks, I would think, in order to get him. But Celtics, they don't need another Romeo Langford or Grant Williams if they're going to take up the next step. They need, like you said, like a veteran type player. So I would be willing to part with that if that's what it takes in order to upgrade I just the, think it's, the starting five and you know the all around roster. I just think it's unlikely with his contract and just the fact that he's Brad's guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I, I don't really know what to expect. I think that Danny Ainge is going to have to make some decisions, and there could be some tough ones. But, uh, I mean, it, it feels like for three years now, it's been the same kind of, oh, the Celtics, like they, they came so close, but like they're right there, like they're knocking on the door. At first it was, well, Tatum and Brown got to excel without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. You throw in those two guys, and this is going to be a team that goes to the finals. Well, obviously that didn't work out. But then it's, okay, well, they got rid of Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker comes in, they have all this chemistry, and now this is their chance. And it's like, they should be the team that the Miami Heat were this year, where, you know, Jimmy Butler is the closest thing they have to a superstar. I would say he is. The Celtics, Jason Tatum's borderline, but it just kind of feels like that kind of team where the sum is 
greater or the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts that's really what miami had they're not a team that just has like all these like all-star caliber players they just have such great chemistry and they're able to make everything work together boston should be able to do that and it it feels like this was their best chance to this point to be able to get to the finals and they still come came up short the chemistry problems still exist even with Kyrie gone and you know how much i hate Kyrie and (laughs) how much i put the blame on him for last season but now that he's gone and the issues aren't as bad, but they're still kind of there, it, some of the blame def- can't just go all on Kyrie. It, some of it has to go on the, some of the players that they have right now and maybe even Brad. for hey, Like, hey, Brad Stevens is a good X's and O's c- kind of coach, but he's proven that he can't handle the chemistry issues and the big egos uh, of the players on the team at, at the moment. Do you want the Celtics to move on from Brad Stevens? No, but okay. I, mean, I think it's kind of crazy. That I mean, like do. if if it was between one or like one of the, like the the superstar players or the coach, like yeah, I'd rather move on from the coach. But I don't want to. I don't want to just put it, the, all the blame on him. It's it's a collective blame pie. Some of it goes on Brad. Some of it goes on Danny Ainge for not doing enough at the deadline, and some of it goes on the players. Yeah, I, I think the way that I've looked at the Celtics basically throughout this entire Brad Stevens era and you know recently during the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum era is I love this team I love all the guys that are there I I love watching them but I just don't think that they're truly a championship contender I don't think that they're a team like if the Celtics had beat the Heat I don't think that I would feel super confident in their chances against the Lakers I wouldn't either (laughs) so I mean we can we can jump right into that because you know we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Celtics as the offseason uh, starts to move on the Miami Heat all year long I had so many takes on this podcast I'm saying that Jimmy Butler signing with the Heat is like Manny Machado signing with the Padres they'll be a fringe playoff contender every year but they'll never be a championship contender and that was totally wrong all this I said that the Heat would be a seven seed I was like it's Jimmy Butler and I don't know who else. <laughs> Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero. I mean, Kendrick Nunn has he hasn't really Kendrick done Nunn's much with COVID, but he was so good during the regular season, just out of nowhere. And uh, they, Goran Dragic, him going back in the starting lineup, he's been phenomenal in the bubble. So yeah, the Heat they have a lot of great pieces, but unfortunately, I think that of all the things, the Heat just totally slighting me throughout this when I say that they're going to get swept by the Bucs and they're, they're going to lose to the Celtics. Uh, it's just all going to end with them losing to the Lakers oh, I'm, in the I'm gonna, I'm going to root for them big time. Yeah, but, oh, absolutely. But, but I don't think they're going to win either. And another, no. another thing to mention about Jimmy Butler, I don't think there's a player in, the, in sports where I've had a bigger 180 in terms of how I view the player more than Jimmy Butler because when yeah. he was in uh, Chicago, Minnesota, and Philly – there were chemistry problems with all the with all the younger players he played with, like Towns, Wiggins, Ben Simmons, Jabo- uh, Joel Embiid, and and my thing was like, oh, it's he's the one that's the problem. But after seeing what's happened in Miami and how all the players are bought in and they love playing with and for each other, I I I, I definitely. I'm a bigger fan of Jimmy Butler than I used to be. Yeah. So I mean, my dad's a huge Bulls fan. So I always liked Jimmy Butler in Chicago. And then when he was 
he was traded to Minnesota. I saw being a fan of him and then getting to Philly, of course, I, I did not root for him. But I, I do agree that um, he's he's definitely kind of proven to me that while their chemistry issues and like lots of the, the problems that we saw in Minnesota and Philly were probably tied to him. A lot of that is just because he's such a great competitor. He's someone he wants to win. He wants to get the best out of his teammates. And I, I think that this Miami Heat team finally bought into that. There are reports, I think they're true, where at some point in the bubble or later in the playoffs, the players are allowed to bring in their wives, and yeah. their kids. And Jimmy Butler was just like, no, like this is a business trip. Yep. And I, I, yep. I love that he's getting not just himself, but the other players on the team like fully bought in, even though like they're not, they weren't one of the top teams coming into the playoffs like they made it all the way to the finals and that's that's credit to them yeah that's a it's a great um attitude that he's had throughout this and yeah jimmy butler i'm i'm rooting for you now like i'm rooting for the heat but you know i if if i'm lucky this there's one last time where i'm gonna say that the heat can't pull it off they can't advance any further you know they they can't win the finals. Just just prove me wrong one more time because I don't want to see the Lakers win a championship. I to- I totally agree, but I think it's just set up for the Lakers to win. I mean, just given everything that happened earlier this year with Kobe Bryant, yeah, with Kobe, yeah. Kobe Bryant, and then the pandemic. Well, it's mostly Kobe, but just it's a do it for Kobe kind of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And, I, and like, even though the Lakers are better, yeah. It, I'm sure they they can still even set it up for them to win. And then I'm sure I will see LeBron all tearful and say, oh, tough times don't last, tough people do. He'll give some contrived speech <laughs> at the end after, during the trophy presentation about Kobe and the pandemic, and it'll just be Anthony so LeBron. Anthony Davis will put up better stats than him across the board, but LeBron will still win finals MVP. Yeah, did, did, you, did you hear LeBron talk about how, like, oh, I, I – I should have I should have gotten more, more votes for the MVP. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. I, and I not did. that the other guy he couldn't he didn't have the decency to say Giannis. He Giannis, said I, yeah. I'm not. He said the other guy. Uh, I'm not saying the other guy didn't deserve it, but I think I should should have gotten more votes. You can make a case he's not even the MVP on his own team. I no, just, I just thought even Anthony Davis that. like with and without Anthony Davis that team the was playoffs. so different. No, they and I know that LeBron without, was hurt for like Andy 25 Davis. games or whatever. If he played, they most likely get in, but. I mean, they totally missed the playoffs. It's not like you're talking like two seed versus five seed. You're talking five seed versus missing the playoffs. So to me, the, the Lakers needed Anthony Davis, and I absolutely agree that Anthony Davis is the team MVP for the Lakers. But <laughs> I guess another another like thing, just talking about LeBron quote, he did say, talking about Anthony Davis, this is the reason why I wanted to be a teammate of his and why I brought him here. Just openly admitting that, yeah, Rich Paul and I pulled all the strings and you know we screwed over the Pelicans and forced a hand and made sure Anthony Davis came to the Lakers. And Rob Palenka had little to do with it. I'm not a hater like you when it comes to LeBron, but he makes it really hard sometimes. <laughs> You know, I get people loving him on the court and his basketball prowess, but just all the off the court stuff, like everything, it just adds up to me. And I've I've had no differing an opinion on him ever since the whole heat decision thing. Like there's there hasn't there, you know. I say that like I love the whole I, I promise school and like how he is not afraid to not shut up and dribble and how he's 
he's uh, bringing attention to all the issues surrounding our country right now and that he is that kind of player who is willing to do those things that maybe Michael Jordan didn't do. Um, all that being said, when it just comes to the basketball stuff and the way he talks about himself and everything, I just, I can't get behind him. I, I just can't do it. And it's, it's so frustrating. And, uh, we don't, you we know, don't think he's a bad guy. We just, no, hate, no, we just hate how he's a me, me guy, like on the court or, or when it comes to basketball. Yeah. So before the, um, the playoffs or even the bubble itself started when Avery Bradley was announced, um, that he opted out and Rajon Rondo broke his hand and he was going to miss the start of the bubble and playoffs. Nick Wright, huge LeBron fan from Fox Sports, said that uh, if the Lakers win the title, he'll have six rings because he got two from the beating the 73-win Warriors and he'll get two for winning in the bubble because of everything that he had to overcome in this. <laughs> and I can tell from your face that you don't agree with that. Nick, Nick Wright is such an idiot. <laughs> I know yeah, who that I mean, is. He's on Fox Sports. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I assume everyone this guy with is. a giant nose. Yeah. He, um, you know, I, I like some of the, his takes, but his LeBron stuff is just in, insufferable. And like everyone is on the same playing field. I, Avery Bradley not having him is the reason why the the Lakers get all this praise. I mean, the Clippers were totally like never had their roster the entire time, and nobody's gonna say Kawhi gets two rings for this. So that's another thing. The Clippers, like the, the Lakers, got to avoid the Clippers in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? Like LeBron, all that time in the Eastern Conference, where his biggest opponents are like the thirty-seven-year-old Kevin Garnett. Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and Derek Rose before he uh, emerged into what should have been one of the best players in the league and, and Paul George on the Pacers, Mello on the Knicks. Like he never had to go through all this great competition. And then he goes to the West and he's able to totally avoid Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and the Clippers. Like it's just it's just so frustrating. And, and then he and then the finals matchup, he gets the Heat. He doesn't even get the yeah Bucks. right. He doesn't even get the Bucks. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's four titles if he wins. I if the Lakers win though, I will I I really 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 want Anthony Davis to win MVP. Just just to be able oh, to not say gonna, I, I don't Anthony know da- how it can Anthony happen. Anthony Davis but. has to has to really play a lot better than LeBron for it to even Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's 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 a stretch thinking of it. But all right, official prediction. Um Lakers in how many games though? You you want yeah. the amount of games? I'll go seven because I'm sure the NBA really? will try to. Yeah, because I, I think I think the Heat deserve more credit for what they've what they've done, and I'm sure I'm sure the NBA can figure out a way to make it as last as long as possible. So I'll say seven, but Lakers definitely win. So I'm going Lakers in five, like they've won every single series to this point. Um, Also, now that I think about it, I did kind of mention something about the NBA trade deadline. I was going through all of my horrible takes about the Heat, and one of them after the trade deadline was saying, are we really going to say Andre Iguodala is the reason why the Heat go to the Eastern Conference Finals? And of course, his best game of the season is Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. He shot lights out in the worst time possible. 5 for 5, 4 for 4 from 3. Yeah, just uh, so many horrible takes about the Heat. I think I got one more in me is that they have no chance against the Lakers. Lakers in 5. All right. Let's move on to football and happier things. Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson lose to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. 34 to 20. 
a game that really it could have been worse. The, the Chiefs kind of blew some chances. They were up 27 to 10 late in the first half driving. Harrison Bucker misses a field goal right before the half. And then the first possession of the second half, the Chiefs go down the field, drive again, fumble. Regardless, Mahomes totally outplayed Lamar Jackson. And I mean, is it fair to say that Mahomes is definitively the best quarterback in football? I thought and that, that the before... Chiefs are definitively the best team. I thought that the Mahomes thing, I thought that before the game. And I think that even more now. And. I think Lamar Lamar Jackson is 20, 21 and six in his career as a starter in the regular season. Three of those losses are against Mahomes. And I think he's he's twenty one and four. Twenty one four. Oh, okay. Yeah, three losses. He lost to the Browns last year. Outside of that, his only three losses are oh, okay. to Mahomes. So I, I mean, wrong. I guess now that I say that, he's lost two playoff games. So twenty one and six. Oh, maybe yeah, twenty one and six in his career. Okay, but yeah, it just but half of them have come to have come against KC and Mahomes and. Uh, I think Marcus Spears, you know him on ESPN, I think he yeah. put this perfectly where Lamar Jackson said, like, I'm not playing Patrick Mahomes, I'm playing their defense. Like, no, you are playing Patrick Mahomes <laughs> because if yeah. Mahomes is going to put up all those touchdowns and you're down by multiple scores in the game, you got to figure out a way to come back as a pocket passer. And yep. he hasn't re- he hasn't totally 100% proven, proven that. The Ravens won so many games last year as front runners and just – blowing out teams yeah but, they jump out early and they never had to face adversity but anytime and, yeah exactly and anytime that they have to face adversity and they're down multiple scores they don't really come back in these games no they didn't do it against the browns last year they didn't do it against the titans in the playoffs i mean i think they said that the biggest comeback win in lamar jackson's career is eight points small sample size he's only been doing this for what did we say like 28 games but eventually the they're going to have to do that. And the only way that's going to happen is if Lamar Jackson can get to the point where his passing game doesn't just supplement the team's running game, but it's legitimate part of his attack. Like it is, that, that's the big thing. It should be the other way around that his running game supplements his passing game because to the point where, where they're at right now, they're, they're going to be susceptible to these losses. And, I still believe that the Baltimore Ravens overall are the most talented team, but the Chiefs defense really isn't all that great. Like they're much better than they were a couple years ago, but nobody's going to say that the Chiefs are like a top five, top 10 defense even. No, I totally agree with that. Especially years... without Rashad Breeland. Right. A couple years ago, they were atrocious as the as a defensive team, but the past couple years and then this year, like they're not... They're not the eighty-five Bears, but they're they're just, they're a decent defense. You, they're you decent. Should, you should be able to put when you when you're Lamar Jackson in their offense, you should be able to play better than they did yesterday. I think he had like ninety-seven passing, ninety-seven yards, 97. fifteen for twenty-eight, ninety-seven yards, sacked four times, and then running ball eighty-three yards. Like it's not like he was just totally explosive on the run and didn't have to pass. The, the Ravens had a really solid drive to start the game, and then they had another really solid touchdown drive. Uh, and that, that's it. It was just two great drives, and every other time the Chiefs were able to stop him, either holding him to field goal or forcing the Ravens to do something that they never do, which is punt the football. So, I, I mean, to me, Patrick Mahomes totally outplayed him. 31 for 42, 385 yards, four touchdowns, wasn't sacked at all. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where I'm looking at this and I'm saying I, I can see – the Steelers competing with the no, Ravens I agree, if this I is going to be like a legitimate thing that happens with Lamar. If that's it, if the key to beating the Ravens is taking a lead, 
then I don't see how this team is going to go 14 and two again. I mean, I know their schedule is super easy, but it, it feels like teams are starting to figure it out and not everyone is the chiefs, but I, I'm feeling really optimistic about my team's chances. No, they, they, they can definitely compete with, um, with Baltimore in that division. One thing for Baltimore is that their road schedule in terms of travel, like the one game that one road game that they had all, all year that where they really had to travel was Houston. They already played yeah, it. And they already played it. Like yeah. every other every other road game, they could take a bus to all these games. Yeah, I mean they because they play the NFC East, and obviously they they have their three AFC North away games, and uh, we also the AFC North plays the AFC South, and they host Jacksonville. I think their one away game is at Indianapolis, which that's another right down the road, basically. Yeah, I mean, literally, we know that you can take a bus from Baltimore to Indianapolis because that's what the Colts did back in 1983. <laughs> that's uh, funny. Yeah, I mean, now I, I realize that I just said that, um, that I feel good about the Steelers watching this Ravens game. I said the same thing about the Chiefs after their, their kind of struggles against the L.A. Chargers. I was like, I mean, the Chargers have a really good defense, but so do the Steelers, and they shut down Mahomes. The Ravens were supposed to have an elite defense as well, and they they didn't shut down Mahomes at least in the first half. So, you know, maybe I'll be thinking I'm super foolish once again next week when the Ravens go out and put up seventy on the Washington football team. But my my biggest takeaway from yesterday's game is that everyone said, including including myself, that in the AFC it's Chiefs, Ravens, and then a drop off to everyone else. I think it's Chiefs and then a drop off. To everyone else i think the chiefs are far and away the best team in the afc they're gonna only get better from here uh you know the, those first two weeks there there was a lot of rust there was still some in this one i mean they they could have blown the ravens out of the water and end up being a much closer game than it should have been because of the chiefs play you know a- after the first like 29 minutes of the game but I, I do agree with you that the Chiefs right now, they're the number one team. I don't know that it's far and away ahead of Baltimore. I don't know that uh, we would see this exact same thing happen if these two teams meet in the playoffs. But I think that it's already time that we kind of start wondering, hey, is anyone going to stop this Kansas City team? Uh, I don't think they really do go 16-0, but it's it's uh, of all you, you the 3-0 you know, teams, they're easily the the best, like most likely to. you got to put up a better performance than that if – we're gonna have a playoffs where only one team in each conference gets a bye mm-hmm. this season. Oh yeah, and, and you know what your main competition is in, in terms of getting that one seed. Yep. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to our next big game. Uh, we had a lot of big matchups featuring quarterbacks this week, and another one was Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott as the Seahawks take down the Dallas Cowboys 38 to 31. So one stat that uh, we have discussed on this show before is that in 2019, when scoring 30 plus points, the Cowboys won eight and zero, and they scored 31, but they still lost. And uh, I thought that their defense looked pretty solid against the Rams, but after giving up 39 to Atlanta and 38 to Seattle, I think it's reasonable to really question uh, the, the Cowboys' defense uh, more than their offense. No, I, I mockingly asked you yes, uh, or Sunday when when, <laughs> when the Cowboys had 31 points and they're losing. I, I asked you, what was their record again last year? Yeah. Scoring 31 Oh, oh, eight and oh, oh that's, that's nice. Great, because they're about to lose. Yeah, I, I'm not... Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm not I'm not regretting my my Cowboys take, but one thing I will regret is the MVP pick picking Dak because there because Russell Wilson is he's gonna win the MVP. He has 14 touchdowns through three games, and including uh, I I think he had five. Yeah, he had five in that Dallas game. And, yeah, and, yeah, he had five last week as well. Or two yeah, he had ago? five versus the Patriots as well. Okay, yeah, four. He had four versus Atlanta. He had four incompletions. Four. <laughs> <laughs> he had the same amount of touchdowns as incompletions. That's nuts. Yeah, he is. He's been unreal this year. I mean, even looking at his numbers, he was only twenty-seven for forty for three fifteen. Like that's probably his worst game of the season, which is incredible with how great his start has been. Um, I don't know that I'm ready to say Russell Wilson for MVP just yet. And you got to remember, he hasn't even received an MVP vote to this point in his yeah, career. Yeah, and, and I'm sure people will factor that in. Oh, I got to vote for Russ. He's never going to yeah. vote. No, I, I know. Well, that's that's the narrative. And it's one of those things where it sounds crazy, but then you think back to this point in his career. So, you know, his, his rookie year in 2012, he, he was solid, came on the scene. He was not going to win MVP. 2013, 2014, when they went to the Super Bowl, he was starting to emerge, but Peyton Manning broke every single season passing record in 2013. He wasn't getting votes over him. 2014, Aaron Rodgers was great. J.J. Watt was great. It was either of those two. Russell Wilson wasn't supplanting either of those guys. And then Cam Newton, Matt Ryan. 2017, the Seahawks didn't even make the playoffs, and that was a year where MVP kind of fell open for the taking. And then, of course, the last few years, nobody was voting Russell Wilson over Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Last so. year would have been the year where he could have maybe gotten a vote, but the because because in the first half he was ridiculous, but yeah, in the, Lamar in the second half, in the second half Lamar just kept putting up numbers where yeah, it was just impossible it, to vote for someone else besides him. No, because Russell Wilson has been a top five quarterback every single season. It feels like, but he's never been number one. I mean, he's never really even been number two in in some ways. So. Um, it's and one wait, of those wait, things just where, in terms of like just personal rank, just overall just like over- you know his 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 stat line like everything I, it's just because i think he's one or two right now and yeah one, well one, this one, is like the first season where it feels like he's he's they're there. letting russ cook yeah yeah mr unlimited <laughs> <laughs> no so. I, I just think what i mean it's right now it's either him or mahomes and I, just the fact that russ Russell Wilson is putting up the numbers he is with what's around him. Now, Lockett and Metcalf, uh, they're both terrific. I just think his offensive line and coaching is nowhere near as good as Mahomes' situation is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I would absolutely say that through three games, Russell Wilson is the runaway favorite to an MVP, but there's still 13 games to go in the season. And, you know, just bringing up the point that he's never received a vote just kind of tells you that some, someone always steps up. But th- this year, it seems like it should absolutely be Wilson. And when you look at the other side of the ball, their defense, I, that was a big question mark. They, they trade two first-round picks to get Jamal Adams. They need to step up. And they've been able to win these games, but they still have so many questions on defense. You know, the, Russell Wilson has been able to outscore Atlanta, New England, and dallas through three games but they're not necessarily winning these games in blowouts because the defense is, has been susceptible to to big games which can help his numbers yeah like russell I mean, wasn't summers no i agree i'm just saying like I, I, so when i talk about the seahawks in general though i still think that their defense needs to figure it out because i don't think they're going to be able to win every single game oh, yeah in, ter- in terms in terms of their team yeah i don't know i love that i love that idea for the future and for the playoffs if they were to make it but 
for right now, in terms of Russell Wilson's case as an MVP, it, it helps his numbers. That's all, that's all I, that's yeah. all I meant. So, but, <laughs> but yeah, another thing, sorry to get yeah. off on a tangent about no, you're good. Russell Wilson and his MVP season, but the Cowboys, yeah, their defense has been pretty bad, uh, pretty bad lately, especially in that last game. And outside of Alden Smith, who's I think leading the league in sacks, the rest their their defense really has been really pedestrian, and it really hurts that they've lost uh, Landon Vanderesh uh, f- for multiple weeks. Yeah, the I I was fairly optimistic about the Cowboys' defense. I thought that. Uh, Alden Smith had been look. He looked great against the Rams, um, and they Everson Griffin did as well. Their their secondary it's 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 very uh, suspect to this point. I love Tyler Lockett, but he was wide open on all three of his touchdowns. And yeah. then Metcalf had that big touchdown late, and then he could have had two touchdowns, but he ended up <laughs> showboating on one of them to the point yeah. where I I think it was I think Dunbar it was Diggs or Diggs, right? It was Diggs yeah. who who got the fumble and your favorite rule happened. <laughs> yeah. Where he yeah, was a touchback. I know, and he fumbled. I know. I know. Well, that, yeah, see that, that's one where it's like, okay, yeah, this, this should be a touchback <laughs> when you watch that. But uh, yeah, I mean, just, just looking at that Cowboys secondary, it feels like they need to make some kind of move to make, make an adjustment there. And of course not having Leighton Van Der Esch hurts. I still think that their front seven is pretty solid and they'll be able to come together. But uh, that, that, that defense is certainly looking like a problem because the Cowboys should be able to outscore just about any team, but they, I they probably they're susceptible have, to being outscored. When I made the pick, uh, picking the Cowboys to make at least the Super Bowl. I probably should have looked more closely at their defense, and I I just fell in love way too much with the offense. Yeah, no, I, oh, I agree. I think that's what everybody did because you see Dak Prescott having see all these names on their offense. Amari like, Cooper, I know. How you, can they lose? <laughs> you know they have Ezekiel Elliott, but when you Amari Cooper, of course, and Michael Gallup is going to emerge. They draft Ceedee Lamb in the first round. It, it just feels like they have all these pieces together now. Losing Blake Jarwin at tight end hurts, but Dalton Schultz, Schultz has been pretty good, and then up, Cedric yeah. Wilson. Yeah, just never heard of, of him, and he's he's kind of the man too. <laughs> he had a yeah, he had an awesome game. Um, so Dak Prescott for the game, he went thirty-seven for fifty-seven, four hundred seventy-two yards, three touchdowns. He did throw two picks, one on the final drive, and so it, this is just from a tweet I saw that was kind of circulating. I assume that it's true, just because there are a lot of big name reporters that were. Um, quote tweeting it but apparently jerry jones went on 105.3 the fan dallas sports radio and said that that last this, drive is yeah that's why dak prescott he can't do that that's what separates him from Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes or even yeah. tony romo I, I i saw that and i <laughs> i mean I, da- I, I i've i've criticized dak in the past but not like oh this guy sucks I, yeah I just, I've, I've just said that he can be middle of the pack sometimes but to say something like that i mean he had a, a really solid game. He had game. a solid like game. And that pick at the end, I was mad in the moment, but I, I, they, they would have had one more play if, let's say, that's incomplete. And the, and the game's over, and they needed a touchdown. So, I mean, I don't I don't totally blame Dak for making that pass at the end. It Was it, was it bad? Yeah, but there wasn't much time left. No, so I I just think it's kind of ridiculous with this whole like is is Jerry Jones gonna pay Dak Prescott like how does he feel about this guy and, and just maybe to, it's, to maybe it's that. to motivate him I don't know yeah may, maybe maybe I guess that's 
that's the, the that's, a, that's one way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Cowboys face the Browns this week. It's a, a huge, huge game for uh, them. If they lose uh, to Baker Mayfield, oh, that <laughs> that will just ruin my take on the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, and Baker Give, Mayfield. Yeah, probably. that would ruin two takes of mine. <laughs> saying that the Browns are going to be trash, especially Baker, and then saying the Cowboys are are going going all, maybe all the way this year. Well, speaking of bad takes, uh, how about the Packers are going to miss the playoffs because Jordan Love drafting him is, is going to be a detriment to Aaron Rodgers and that team. How, how's that for a take? I don't blame you too much, but I, I thought they'd still win the division, And but I didn't know how much else they would do. I mean, anything... They're averaging anything, 40 points a game. They're the first three games. <laughs> they, they The Packers beat the Saints 37-30. to 30. Aaron Rodgers, another phenomenal performance after two great ones to start the season. I, I think one thing that's really helped... And it's not just the Packers, but it's just teams that are teams on the road in general this year. Is that the home home field the home field advantage is like basically non-existent until yeah until the playoffs when there are going to be teams that are going to be playing in cold weather. So Green Bay could benefit by when it comes to January, but teams that are that have a dome they're not going to really have that home field advantage because the home field advantage for them was the crowd noise in the dome but now especially in the superdome but now not having those fans rogers can have do all of his pre-snap crap and and draw the players off sides and yelling green 19 constantly and and then i'll and yeah drawing the defensive lineman off sides and and i just think that really is massive for road teams and that's shown in two of the road games that the packers have played in huge advantage for for aaron Rodgers and the packers in particular and uh I I'm already walking off that take to the point where I almost want hey, to do a total 180 I, and say I've, the Packers are going to the Super Bowl. I've used one take annulment and it was on the <laughs> Lions making the playoffs. You can use a take annulment. <laughs> yeah, I mean with with this team, like last year they went 13 and 3 and everyone was saying they're not a 13 win team. They're no. like a 9-10 win team. They got lucky into a bye. This feels like a 13-win team. Like, Aaron Rodgers, it's, I don't know if it's that whole, like, they, Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady effect that we've talked about in 2014 with the Patriots, but that that's almost what it feels like is happening with Green Bay. <laughs> Rodgers is, is just zero interest in no longer being the um, Green Bay Packers quarterback. He's very much in it to win it at this point. And this this team has just been awesome offensively. They, they, did, they, they put up those they, 37 points versus the Saints – Without Devonte Adams, and, true, and Alan Lazard, who I'm pretty high on, is showing that he can definitely be a good number two receiver, and then number one if Adams were to be out for extended time. So after Alan Lazard, the Packers' leading receivers were Robert Tanyan, Jay Sternberger, Mercedes Lewis, and then running back Aaron Jones. I, it's you saw the graphic during the game is like first round picks that you've thrown touchdown passes. It was to. one, and then it was two after two, Mercedes, yeah. Lewis Mercedes Lewis had that touchdown, and and Mercedes Lewis has both of them yeah, at the back end of his career. So uh, it is pretty incredible what Aaron Rodgers has been able to do and can continue to do because that that was the biggest knock is that they didn't add any weapons. That their first two picks were used on a backup quarterback and a backup running back, and. That that hasn't slowed down the Packers' offense at all to this point. And guess who they play week four? 
Atlanta Falcons on Monday Night Football at Lambeau. So you know it's going to be another 35, 40-point performance for this team. Well, they'll be down by 27, but they'll still be able to come back and, and win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the Falcons in a bit. Um, in terms of the Saints, are you worried? Are you ready to press the panic button on this team? No, because they, they don't have Michael Thomas, which is one huge hole. I like Traquan Smith and Emmanuel Sanders a lot, but neither of them are number one receivers, and especially Emmanuel Sanders at this point in his career. Just so having missing Michael Thomas is a huge loss. Uh, yeah, that's one. I, that's I agree one. With that. That's one of the many issues that they have on their team right now because it's mostly a defense that's hurting them right now because they gave up all those points first Las Vegas and then they gave up all those points first first a good offense in Green Bay but still concerning. So the panic button, no, but is it concerning? Yes. Yeah, I mean, they, their defense, it feels like it's it's taken a drop-off every single year um, in the past few years. And I think that there's certainly reason to maybe be a little nervous about this team being 1-2. and two. I saw the loss to the Raiders coming. I kind of saw this one to the Packers. I, I thought that, you know, even though there's no home field advantage, maybe that could be like the, the tipping point in this one. Uh, Drew Brees, you know, the, their offense is kind of adapting right now because Brees doesn't have the arm strength that he had even last season. I mean, Kamara had, I think, half of the receptions. He had 13, he had, yeah, he had 13, 13 catches. 52-yard touchdown. I mean, he, he was the only reason the Saints were even in that game. He, he's a, Yeah, he's I mean, Alvin Kamara, him getting that contract, like, it's only been three games, but it seems like this might be one of those cases where paying a running back is, I, is I, working I would, out. That's what I was just about to say. I, I think paying a, run, paying a running back top dollar is insane, but he, he's one of the few that you can make a case that it's not so bad. So the 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 Saints uh, their their fourth game coming up against the Detroit Lions. So I think that uh, if they if they lose that one, then maybe we can press the panic button. But you know if if they're able to to show that they're just losing to to really good teams, then I think that would be a different story. Yeah, Detroit, you shouldn't you shouldn't lose to. Yeah. Um, all right. So next next matchup, <laughs> kind of a crazy one. The uh, the Bills and the Rams. So twenty eight to three lead, most dangerous lead in football, because the the Bills managed to blow a twenty eight to three lead to the Rams. Yet they came back and wound up winning in the final second. So this this is the kind of game that I I look at both of these teams, and I think based on what we saw, I feel good about both of them. Is that fair? I feel bad about the Rams. The Bills. I had them winning the division, uh, so I don't have. Much, nothing nothing really changed for me for Buffalo. They have a good defense. But Josh Allen, I'm lower on Josh Allen than consensus because I know he played a pretty good game and he had that nice comeback, but he's still a mess in the pocket. And he's still just dreadful to watch at times. That In the fourth quarter, he had this strip sack by Aaron Donald that was just, just get rid of the ball. I don't know what's... He has very little pocket awareness at times and it he doesn't know when to make the right decisions at times. I'm getting rid of the ball, and he just takes dumb sacks. And it wasn't just that one. He had one with a few minutes left when they're driving down the field, and he just wouldn't get rid of the ball again. And then all of a sudden when they checked the replay, his knee was down. And, he, and then they were forced at th- to have a have a long pass at 3rd and 22 that he 
he got really lucky on. And then yeah, uh, he completed it. He completed it, but yeah, but then later it was fourth down and it was incomplete. And then the the refs bailed him out on a dumb penalty, which I don't think was a good call. And yeah, they so, they scored a touchdown the next play. But I mean, I think Josh Allen got really lucky, is what I'm trying to say. And I don't, I don't, I think the the hype around him is is too much. He's beaten the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Rams are decent, but still. this I mean, this is a kind of win that Josh Allen and the Bills needed because I think it's fair to criticize them for, you know, I mean, not criticize, but say, hey, let's settle down. He beat the Jets and the Dolphins. He played so well against them, though. And I, I really don't understand a lot of the Josh Allen hate and this idea that he's not a competent quarterback. And I, I get it. He, in, in all of these games, he's had like some bad fumbles. He's taken some bad sacks. He throws passes to guys that are wide open that end up in the first row of the stand. Sometimes like there are a lot of flaws with his game still, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's no hope for him. Yeah. No, it it feels like there are for sure solid he, offense he's still. for sure pretty good like he's got the physical attributes and he's he's put up good numbers but i just there are just times where he's super rattled in the pocket that, that's just my so, thing and the the stefan Diggs pick up to me that's the, huge to this point and that has been arguably the best move that's one of the, of the things the entire offseason that's one of the things where where josh allen needed help where he's needed he's needed another receiver not just yeah. john brown it having Another guy like Diggs is huge for them. Yeah, I think that's that's taken their offense to another level. And I, I look at this Buffalo Bills team, and I agree with you. Coming into the season, I predicted them to win the AFC East, but I was very reserved about that because, you know, I I, I can't say that I was totally down on draft Josh Allen. I thought he was a terrible quarterback. The Bills should replace him. To me, Josh Allen was. A, a competent type quarterback. I drafted him in one of my fantasy leagues, feeling pretty excited about him, and I, that's that's been a great move to this point because of the numbers no, he's I, put up I, against these teams. But I mean, to me, with with the Bills, I still kind of felt like, like I said on the the preview, is like Josh Allen was under the most pressure to succeed this year because the Bills are a Super Bowl contender and they need Josh Allen to play like a Super Bowl caliber quarterback or at least the kind of guy who could take them there you know even if it was like a Jimmy Garoppolo who maybe he's not putting up MVP type numbers throughout the season but he's not doing anything to kill the team and through 3 games I really don't think he's done that yeah he hasn't been perfect he's had times where he's missed guys and he's taken bad sacks or whatever but he's still at 70% completion rate to this point after not even putting up 60% the past two seasons? No, he's definitely improved. I just I worry at some point that it's going to take a a, a negative a, a negative uh slide. I don't know. <laughs> so, on on the flip side, the Los Angeles Rams, they start out down 28 to 3. It it seems like it's over. This is going to be a bad loss to them. And they come out and they come all the way back and take the lead, 32 to 28. And yeah, they end up losing in the end. But it feels like those second half adjustments that the Rams made is just kind of a reminder that, oh, yeah, Sean McVay was like this offensive genius who half the league decided to hire their head coach after because he was just able to to get this team back in the game. And Jared Goff, I know you're not a huge fan of him. But he's he's been no, competent no, he's, to this point this season. Like they, their receivers have stepped up even without Brandon Cooks. Like having Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, and even Josh Reynolds and Tyler Higby at tight end has been solid. Like it it feels like the Rams were 
so I don't even want to say bad last year, but compared to that Super Bowl team, they, they underachieved. Had a huge drop off. Yeah, they underachieved to the point where like, oh, this Rams team is terrible. Their future is is so bleak with all these guys they have to pay and everything that they're going to be so bad this year. And I'm kind of looking at him and it's like, no, this is still a really good team. Like they're absolutely a playoff contender. No, that division and, that division is really good. I mean, the fact that is. Arizona's arguably the worst one in that division and they're two and one. They had a bad loss Sunday, but they've shown that they can definitely compete in the division. It's just the fact that all four of them are either pretty good or really good is, is insane. I don't think it'll happen because I think when these teams start facing each other, you're going to have a yeah, couple. They, I don't think any of them each have, other up, but and, it's possible that all four teams in the NFC West can make the playoffs. It's it's not something that can be totally ruled out. I mean, and if I, you look around I mean, in the I, other divisions. No, I, I I can see it. I I mean, yeah, it's definitely unlikely, but all four of them are good. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the Ra- the Ram- the Rams have exceeded my expectations at this point. The Bills have exceeded my expectations. This is the kind of game where it, it sucks for either of those teams to lose that one. But based on everything that played out, I think both of those teams have to feel better about themselves than they did. You know, maybe, or at least we have to feel better about them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I I would have said the Bills would be three zero at this point, and the Rams would, but the Rams though, I would be more conf, I'm more confident in them right now than I was before the season started. But the Bills okay. have are, have basically have done what I thought they would. Being three zero, they beat they beat two three hundred seventy ter- yards per game through three games. I mean, Josh that's, that's Allen's exceeded my my expectations for him. <laughs> But, okay. Yeah. No, that that's fair. All right. Let's talk about our teams. Let's start off with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, three and zero for the first time since 2010, which sounds crazy, but I very much knew that had never happened. And it's it's interesting because the year that they started three and zero is the year that Ben Roethlisberger was suspended. So he hasn't technically started at three and zero since his rookie year when uh, he filled in for Tommy Maddox and won his first. 13 games or whatever so this it's just another game for the Steelers where they at times look really good at times look really bad the defense started out slow Deshaun Watson in the first half I think he was 14 for 18 202 yards only sacked twice and then in the second half the Steelers pitch a shutout against them 51 yards passing they got to him four times TJ Watt outplayed JJ Watt in the the Watt brothers battle and yeah, Steelers are three and zero. I learned so much more about a team that when when they face tougher opponents, unlike unlike bad opponents, but in the, the Steelers have beaten they they they're three and zero, but they've also beaten teams that, in my opinion, they should beat all of them. They played the Giants, who they're all zero and three. Yeah, like those are all teams: Giants, Broncos, uh, Texans. Yeah, all, all three of those teams, the Steelers should beat. But they have looked pretty good. Their defense is excellent. Big Ben is back, and we don't have to. Un- unless if he gets injured again, we don't have to watch Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges. Thankfully, and, yeah, hopefully for for in your case. And one none, one thing to mention though, uh, so I've I've talked about how like just now that they've beaten all the bad teams. Their next matchup is Tennessee, who I think is a little overrated, but they're definitely a half decent team. But we might not even. What, be able to see that game because of yeah the reports today that 
there was a COVID outbreak for their team after the Minnesota game. Yeah, eight eight Tennessee Titans tested positive, three players, um, and I don't really know what's going to happen with that. It's unfortunate because that could have been. I don't know that when I look at the Titans, say, oh, three and oh, like they're far and away better than the zero and three Texans. I think the Texans just had some horrible luck with the schedule, having to face Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh out of the gate, but. It, it did kind of feel like, a, okay, this is a big test for the Steelers. Let's find out what they are. And now it's a matter of when are they going to play this game because of that, that Titans COVID um, positive cases. It, it sounds like the NFL is prepared to move forward with the game on Sunday. There's some contingency plans to play on Monday or even Tuesday because the Titans aren't even going to be able to get back into their facility and practice together until Saturday. So it, it feels like, Whatever's going to happen, either the Steelers are going to have an unfair advantage or they're going to be really screwed and at a disadvantage because they're either going to have to postpone the game and have less time to prepare for their week five matchup with the Eagles or they're going to have to take a week four bye and make up this game in week seven. So I guess my thing is if you postpone this game, I've, I've heard that apparently with their bye weeks they can figure out a way to play in like week seven yeah it works well because the Steelers are scheduled to play the Ravens in week seven and both of them have a week eight bye and the Titans have a week seven bye so they could just put Pittsburgh Tennessee week seven Pittsburgh Baltimore week eight I guess my thing is what if this keeps happening and not just one team but other teams like so you just keep pushing games back into January and you start the playoffs even later it's just I I don't know what they would do I could be totally wrong wrong about this but I think I think you gotta go for it you gotta play and play it out and make sure the the, t- the positive tests tested players don't play and are out of the building out of the facilities yep. i and, agree i i absolutely agree with that it's not baseball where you can just schedule double headers or even you know have games <laughs> like in the middle of the week play two days later you can't do that with football so if you want to play monday night give him an extra day to prepare fine but it, it feels like the sealers are going to kind of be punished for something that was totally out of their control uh, which is unfortunate. And if you look at Minnesota and Houston, now the Vikings at this point don't have any positive tests. I don't know if they're going, if that's going to change. You know, if they some players got the virus on Sunday and they'll they'll end up testing positive later in the week. But the Vikings and Texans, it, they would have to really do a lot of schedule maneuvering to be able to get that game later in the season. So that's another one. It really feels like they need to get this game in this week somehow. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. I'm optimistic that Pittsburgh is able to play. Uh, that being said, I do feel really good about this. And as a James Conner fantasy owner, I'm sure you have to be happy with his performance the past two weeks after that week one injury. Yeah, I, I've, I was worried after week one that it was going to be a total bust pick, but luckily he's, he's bounced back and yeah, I back got to a, back hundred yard rushing games. Yeah. And I got a. I got a good win versus you, but I <laughs> I don't know if that means much since my team's not looking very good. So on the I mean let's let's talk about Houston for a little bit. They're zero three. Like we said, they played Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. So while it's it's unfortunate, I guess from a, a Texans fan perspective that the team wasn't able to beat any of those. It feels like they're not any better than they were last year when they lost in the divisional round their schedule has been difficult but they also aren't very good and they traded their best receiver 
So, I mean, are you going to come out and say that their season is over? Yeah. Because I th- two no, years I, ago, I mean, they started I, th- I thought that once they made that trade, <laughs> that they should have just fired Bill O'Brien after that. So you don't think that they're, you didn't think they were going to the playoffs no. in the first place. So <laughs> no. you don't, that nothing has changed based on what you've seen in no. the past three weeks. So I, I will say that, I mean, going into the season, I thought Houston still had enough talent on their team to win the division. I think starting 0-3, Tennessee starting 3-0, and Indy started 2-1, and and even Jacksonville starting 1-2, and that's a lot for the Texans to overcome. I still like their chances to get to the playoffs. Uh, they still play all six of their divisional games. Uh, so after, you know, assuming it happens, after playing the equally disappointing 0-3 Minnesota Vikings, they have uh, two of their next four against the Jaguars, which sandwich a trip to Tennessee and a home game against Green Bay. Difficult, but we could they could easily turn their season around if they're able to to rattle off some wins right in a row. I mean, when they went 0-3 two years ago, I think they won nine straight to get back into the, the playoff hunt and ultimately win the division. So I'm not writing them off. The schedule was obviously going to get way easier after this tough start. They still have a few big games. I know they host the Patriots. They have to make a trip to Cleveland and then Chicago later in the season. And like I said, they still have their six divisional games. I'm not giving up on the Texans in terms of making the playoffs, but what I saw the first three weeks, I'm I'm giving up any hope of them even winning a playoff game. I mean, their division is not the toughest division either. I mean, the no, uh, definitely not. I'm sure they'll finish ahead of the Jags by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, but the Colts and Titans, they're both neither of them are great teams, but neither of them are like terrible teams either. So I think they can be. I can, I think they could be in the mix at the end with both of hunt. those teams in the hunt. Yeah, but yeah, they'll, I still they'll don't think the they'll graphic. make the playoffs. Okay, well, uh, let's let's talk about your team, the New England Patriots. So they they lost a tough one to the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday Night Football in Week Two, hosting the Vegas Raiders in Week Three, and it after a uh, a slow start, the Patriots offense figured it out. Rex Burkhead three touchdowns, and uh, New England's two and one. Yeah, I I kind of even without Cam, I think they could still be two and one given the the teams that they just played, but I'm still impressed with what Cam has done for the first three games. Uh, I'm We all knew he could run, but I, I didn't think he could be that good of a passer, and he showed in the Seattle game in particular where he made yep. some really great throws in that game and kept them in he the game. He almost had 400 passing yards yeah, that game, right? He, he kept, yeah, and he kept them in that game until the very end where all they needed mm-hmm. was the, the one yard and they would have won that game, and I wish... They ran a different. I don't blame him for running with Cam there, but I wish they ran it. They had a different formation on that play, where they had maybe Edelman and Harry lined up, and another running back right beside Cam. And if they went in for the run, great. But when you had nine blockers and then a fullback right next to you, I think we all know where it's going. So I I, I didn't like the formation on that play, and it was unfortunate they lost, but they lost to a better team, and. I'm a lo- I'm more hopeful of this season than I was originally before the originally before the season started and, and it's a lot of that has to do with Cam cuz if if they had Stidham or Hoyer in at quarterback I wouldn't have any hope uh them for the- we have a football season as a Patriots fan we have a football season to, yeah to pay attention to at least Oh absolutely I think uh I think Cam Newton has been very solid addition for them against Seattle they were passing the ball and he showed that he can still do that but against Miami and Vegas it was more of a run 
heavy type offense. Yeah, he was he came he didn't have a great passing game. And he wasn't the, very he, he wasn't great versus Vegas, but at the same time it's I didn't I I didn't worry even though it was 13 to 10 at halftime. I I I wasn't worried that they were going to come back in that game and and the Patriots would eventually roll him over. Yeah, I mean even though the Patriots defense had a few opt-outs and you know, most notably Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung, the, the defense is still loaded. Your second uh, the secondary it, is is definitely good. Now Gilmore hasn't been amazing though he, he he's had some no he's had some bad moments especially in the Seattle game where he gave that giant that huge touchdown to uh Metcalf but that was I credit that that more to Wilson than anything yeah but, I mean I I don't think you can just say that that Gilmore isn't the same player I, because of that one play, I still but. I still worry about their linebackers though because Hightower opted out Van Noy and Collins left for other teams and their starting linebackers are uh, Jawan Bentley and Josh Uche, who they drafted, so a rookie and a, a, another young guy as as their starting linebackers, unproven guy. I, I don't love their linebacker core, but the rest of their defense is still pretty good. They did an awesome job of shutting down Darren Waller, and I mean they basically said, "All right, you can you can pass the ball to Hunter Renfro all you want, but we're gonna take away your number one weapon." And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is, I will admit that it's been pretty incredible to this point what Bill Belichick has been able to do with this team. You know, they're, they're two and one. They lost that game to Seattle that they easily could have won. Uh, I, I think that the Patriots, what I've seen from them through the first three games tells me that they can absolutely still win this division. They can still be a playoff team. Cam Newton is, I, I don't know if I can definitively say that he is, as good as or even better than what Tom Brady could have been for this team, but it, it feels like they've fit. been able to adapt the offense. He's a better a way. fit than Brady is at the end of his career because last year, yeah, Brady really didn't connect with the younger receivers and didn't really put in that much time and effort for Nikhil Harry in particular because he was out for the first half of the season and Brady was asked, what do you think about Nikhil Harry and how he – runs into this offense and Bray's like, yeah, he's missed a lot of time. He's, he has to, yeah, it's, it's up to him to pick up the, pick up the slack. Like, great Brady. Like you're the veteran. You got to help this kid that is a rookie and is coming off an injury. And I just think Cam, I'm not, I'm not saying he's better than Brady, but I think he's, he, he can work with the younger guys a lot better than Brady. Yeah, given sense. the roster around them, I, I absolutely agree. That's one, that's I mean, one of Brady, the things. He was just so frustrated with that team. And that's one of the things I'm, impressive of cam is that you, you think someone like that would come into the system and not really take the coaching like oh i'm cam dude and i i'm, I'm the super human athlete at quarterback and i can do anything but no he's really taken the coaching and i think he's in my opinion from what i've seen i think he's improved his throwing mechanics a lot i i, I thought they'd be two and one at this point in the season so in terms of win loss record they haven't exceeded my expectations but in terms of the eye test, from yes, what I've seen, I, I I'm imp- impressed. Yep, yeah, I, I think so. I would say the same thing. So, if if you want to talk eye test, though, they they certainly have a big one coming up against Kansas City in Week Four. Oh, this is so. this will be the game where uh, they come crashing back to earth. But <laughs> but but it's it's Kansas City, so yeah, I'll I'll, I'll pencil in the L for them if they get a win. The, versus Kansas City then 
then, then Super the whole Bowl, world is uh, going to be then, afraid then again. Then I'll purchase my Super Bowl tickets even during a pandemic. <laughs> All right, let's uh a couple more games to get to. So the uh Chicago Bears and the Atlanta Falcons and Mitchell Trubisky <laughs> off to a great start to the season. And uh you know, he wasn't even playing all that bad against the Falcons, but Matt Nagy decided to make the change to Nick Foles and Atlanta with yet another collapse as the uh, the Falcons blow a 26 to 10 lead to Nick Foles and the Bears. 30 to 26 winners. Uh, I mean, the Bears aren't really a 3 and 0 team. No, but, this... <laughs> but it's, still, it's still great that they're 3 and 0. That's a credit to Matt Nagy. I mean, they go 2 and 0, and Trubisky's been in the first two games. He was pretty, pretty good. At, at least in the second half, he was really Tro- good. Yeah, in, really in the second good. Second half versus Detroit, Detroit. He, he was good. But but Matt Nagy, he still had the short leash. Like I I, I know this yeah. guy isn't very good, and he gave him any any chance that. Uh, Trubisky plays bad. He's he's gonna put in Foles, and that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. And Foles made the huge comeback. That's a credit to him, and also Atlanta for choking once again. <laughs> yeah, and- I, I thought it was a weird move benching Trubisky for Foles the way he did that because so I think that one of the the common uh, beliefs when talking about the Bears quarterback situation was that it is easier to go from Mitch to Foles than it would have been from Foles back to Mitch. So it made sense that Trubisky was given every chance to be that team's week one starter and hold down the position as long as he could. The Foles move, it worked. I mean, you know, it's the Falcons, so who's to say they wouldn't have blown it anyway if Mitch stayed in the game, but Foles came in and he threw that interception that was almost a touchdown uh on the first drive and then from there he he played solid like I don't think that his numbers were that much better than Mitch's but uh, what matters is the score at the end and and Foles was able to whatever it was he was able to lead that that team to the victory and of course another epic collapse for Atlanta how does Dan Quinn still have a job it it is incredible just because they won a few games at the end of the year that doesn't mean you should keep them and they keep that them, and then they blow. Him, I guess they they get <laughs> they get their doors blown off by Seattle, and then da- versus Dallas and Chicago, they blow giant leads, and yep. they end up losing the games. I don't yeah, I don't I, understand why he's still there. It feels like it's only a matter of time before Dan Quinn is no longer the head coach of the Falcons, but this isn't the first time that that's been said. So I I, I don't know at this point like how how Quinn can still continue to coach this team. Like it's just the, the fact that Falcons fans are just already expecting this to happen. It's just so sad. Like I, I can't imagine that. And like, I hate that they blew that Super Bowl against the Patriots. Obviously you love that, but ever since then, the, the wheels no, have ever just since, totally fallen ever off. Ever since that game, it was over for them. They were yeah. never going to recover from that. No, no, and it, it it's it, it's incredible like how this team they have all of this talent on the offensive side of the ball. They have some talent on defense as well, and it it's just the same same old Falcons. <laughs> you know, it, it, just to to come out and be on fire against Dallas and take this huge lead and find a way to lose in the most epic impossible way and then to, to go out and do the exact same thing against Nick Foles and the Bears the following week. Yeah, no, no, I just, lead, no I, lead. I can't is safe believe it. Them. 
The, the, no. The the onside kick one is unforgivable. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I I still can't believe that they they didn't think to just dive on the ball and they waited for it Dallas to be able to recover it like they did. But yeah, I mean it, it it's frustrating. You they cut to Matt Ryan on the sidelines in these games and it's just like you feel so bad for the guy. Like like that he's he's able to pull out these leads and then everything just falls apart around him. And I, I just I can't see any way how Dan Quinn realistically survives the season as their head coach. Like it shouldn't be possible. The, the Falcons shouldn't keep him around long enough to accidentally finish the season like four and two down the stretch. What do they need to do have to a good to, enough record? What do they need to do to get him fired? Do they have to blow another? Jack? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, do I they have to win a game? <laughs> like, waiting till the what? bye week kind of makes sense, but I I don't know when their bye is. I don't know how long that I is. But if week, this is gonna keep going. I think it's on, week ten. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally wrong. Season. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't even want to guess, but yeah, the I don't know. Um, in terms of the Bears. Are you gonna go out and say that the Mitchell Trubisky era in Chicago is officially over? I mean, or do you I think I, it's only a matter I, I of time sh- before he starts again. I thought it should have been over years ago. I don't totally mean years that. Years ago, what? I, no, yeah, I, I'm obviously being sarcastic, but I thought it should have been. So over. you think Foles is starting? Yeah, no, Foles. Foles is in there. For really? Me. Yeah. So he's he's definitely starting Week Four against the Colts. Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time before Mitch gets back in. Uh, we know what, who Nick Foles is. He's the kind yeah, of guy. Also who what, can come we also for... we also know what Big Dick Nick is too. Yeah, but he can't do that the whole for an entire season. Like he's proven that he can show up in December and go on a nice little run. And then last year, I don't know what happens if he doesn't break his collarbone the first game of the season for the Jags. You know, once Minshew took over, it was over for Foles. But you know, throughout ever since the Eagles traded him to the Rams for Sam Bradford, he just hasn't been anything more than a competent career backup. And I think it's only a matter of time before he turns around and looks similar to Mitchell Trubisky, because to me, they're very similar type quarterbacks and uh, Mitch is going to get another chance. And then maybe Foles will come in again and just be kind of like a carousel. But I, I, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking when I look at the Bears team is that they, they have, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have any. And that's what it's like with them because they have two guys who you can't trust over an entire season. I trust so. Foles a little bit more. No, not a little bit more. I trust him a lot more. I, I'm just so dug in on Trubisky sucks that I, I look, I'm totally blinded by that. That Foles is probably not much better, but, <laughs> but I'm so dug in on that, that no, Foles is, Foles is the guy. He's the guy for the rest of the year. This guy, get rid of him. Maybe I'm still holding on to uh, my my Bears 2019 Super Bowl run take and Mitchell Trubisky being a competent quarterback. That <laughs> I, I can't accept that he's not going to get another chance. Um, out of all the bad so. ones, out of all the ones that I dislike in the league, out of all the quarterbacks that I dislike in the league, he's he's the top. He's the top dog in terms of yeah. who sucks the most. It's definitely him. You know that that's fair. There's there's only a, a handful of guys that I can I can throw out and definitely say otherwise, and I'm not even gonna bother trying to do that. And I was right. That it's it's week ten for Atlanta. I mean, it is week ten. Yeah, yeah, they'd have to wait a long time to fire Quinn if that's what they're gonna wait for. All right, let's uh let's move on to our next game. And uh, can we just say the worst game of the week? The Eagles and Bengals tying. I watched that. I watched the overtime. Like, that was atrocious. I I I can't 
Who feels worse about that tie? Oh, the Eagles. Easily. So the Bengals gave up. Uh, yeah, it's, it has to be it's the, the Eagles. Eagles. I know. I know, the Bengals I know they gave came up back. Touchdown but at the ca- end, but I know they came back. But who cares? They're they're they <laughs> should beat the Bengals. Yeah, no, I agree. The the Bengals should have lost just on paper. Um, the Eagles absolutely have to feel worse, especially. So they they're down at the end of the game and they're just playing not to lose. They're like, we're just gonna run the ball and try a fifty nine yard field goal at the end of the game rather than trying to at least get ourselves in better position to score here. It makes no sense. And then of course it it's just karma for that Doug Peterson conservative offense is <laughs> a false start. And do, do you think they should have? 60... What do you yeah. think they should have done in that moment after that penalty? Do you think they should kick, kick the I field goal? I think they should have kicked the sixty-four yard field goal. I think that they should have had Jake Elliott kick the field goal. I understand that a sixty-four yard field goal would have tied the NFL record. That the probability of Jake Elliott making that was low, and maybe there was a greater chance of him missing it. The Eagles get or the Bengals getting ball at midfield and then completing a pass or two to get into field goal range and Randy Bullock hits the game winner as time expires. Do you also worry about the fact that they could have also blocked it maybe? Sure. Yeah. A lot of things could have gone wrong. I don't that's that's absolutely fair. But why why would you play for the tie there? Like why why were you playing for the tie? Like I hate that they were content on settling for a long field goal to begin with. But it's just it's incredible to me how you can punt with 19 seconds left in the game and that when you're the eagles like how how does tying there feel any better than losing that game it doesn't especially against the Bengals, no. a team that you, again a team that you should beat i don't have a i don't have a huge i don't have a strong take on this i mean let's say let's say they go for the field goal and miss and yep. joe burrow throws a touchdown at the end of the game Aren't people going to say like, "Oh, you should have punted there. That way, you don't lose." <laughs> I I feel like it could it could have gone either way. Is I well, guess my take on it. Yeah. So I mean, well, that's an interesting thing to say because in 2018, the uh, the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans played a game in Week Four, and it was near the end of overtime, and the Colts had a fourth down, I think, around their own 40 yard line or so. And they went for it, and they didn't get it. And Houston took over in great field position, and Deshaun Watson was able to get him in field goal range, and they wound up kicking the game winner. And they wound up with a win, and instead of tying like the Colts could have, they got a loss. And that's fair to say, wow, you should just take the tie. That's better than the loss. But after the game, they're like, no, we didn't want to tie. Tie would have felt horrible. Like We would rather go down fighting and lose than just be content with a tie. And the Eagles had the exact opposite approach. Especially for a team that's 0-2, that looks so bad the past two weeks against Washington and the Rams, to just not even go for the win and just say, we're just going to get a tie and hope for the best moving forward, it's ridiculous to me. I can't believe the Patriots lost to this team in the Super Bowl a couple it's years ago. It's such a different team, though. Like, I, I know, but still, it's still... What? Every time I see them, it's like, how did we lose to this team? All we had to all we had to do is play better defense and not bench Butler. Yeah, that's one thing. One thing to mention though, mm -hmm. Frank Reich, their offensive coordinator in that Super Bowl, went to Indianapolis as the head coach. He was the guy who decided to go for it. Yeah, and ever since he's left for Indianapolis, Doug Peterson has been eighteen, sixteen, and one, and Frank Reich with a much less. A lot less talented team in the Colts 
is 19 and 16. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> wow. I just, I think, I think Doug Peterson and his tennis visor is just overrated. And you can make a case that Frank Reich had a lot more to do with the Eagles' su- success on offense that year than Doug Peterson. That, but that's just my two cents, though. I mean, I think that's an absolutely fair thing to say. I remember when the Eagles hired Doug Peterson, uh, a lot of people were ripping on takes that Peterson was the worst head coaching hire and that he should have never been an NFL head coach. And obviously winning the Super Bowl totally derails that argument. But now three years later, I think it's absolutely fair to say that Peterson is on the hot seat. You know, maybe not immediately, like he's going to be fired midseason, but if the Eagles miss the playoffs, and no, especially he, I, if I, like... I think he's if the, on the Cowboys seat. win the division at eight and eight, and the Eagles miss the playoffs at seven, eight, and one, because they 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 took the tie instead of going for the win. Like, just imagine that kind of scenario. And here's another fun thing: it's imagine if there were actual fans at Lincoln Financial Field when the Eagles decided to punt away the game and settle for a tie. Like, I they were booing him the, with the fake crowd. They were booing Carson Wentz. I can only imagine what the real Eagles fans would have done in that scenario Th- throwing beer bottles onto the field yeah um and it, i i i do think we need to talk about this how great it is that of all teams the eagles could have tied it was the cincinnati bengals because of course back in 2008 it was the famous donovan McNabb tie i didn't know that games could end in a tie quote <laughs> i forgot about that yeah no, and I, I actually, I, I was reminded of this the other day that not only did he, he not realize that games could end in a tie, he said, like, I, I would hate to see what would happen in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <That> playoff <laughs> game could end in a tie, too. <laughs> so I, I, it's, it's just great because I feel like every time there's a tie, his name gets brought back up. And, of course, for there to be a tie between the same two teams that it happened to that year. So... Um, and I mean, if you want to talk about the Eagles turning their season around, their next two games at San Francisco at Pittsburgh, so they're they're in a world of hurt if they can't pull out a, a victory. Uh, those are those are those two games. those are two pretty tough games, especially on the yeah, road. I know the Forty Nine even are with hurt, home field advantage but, not helping this year, it's still you're still on the road. You still have to travel. Yep. And the the Niners do have injuries, but I, I they do. I mean, the Niners are probably more banged up than the Eagles. I I, I would but, still. I, those are still two tough games, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I hope I hope they lose. I mean, if you're losing to the Reds, if you're losing, excuse me, not the the Washington football, football team. team. If you're losing to the Washington football team, I don't, I don't know how you're going to beat the Niners and the Steelers. No, no, and if if they start oh four and one, then it, it feels like that's that's a wrap on their season. I mean, do you like Wentz? Because I honestly no, no, I. I have been so down on Carson Wentz every single year. So, I mean, in 2018, when that team was struggling to the finish line and then Nick Foles takes over and they make the playoffs and he even wins a playoff game for them, at that point, it's like, uh, all right, what are we doing here with Carson Wentz? And last year, there was all this hype around his finish to the season. He had a good finish to last but season it was with, against- with the weapons that they had. Yeah, but it was against the Giants, Washington, and Dallas. And the Giants and Washington game, they almost lost both of those. The Dallas game, I think they won like 16 to 10. So uh, the defense was great. It's not like you can put that all in Carson Wentz and like beating an overpowered Cowboys offense. Well, the Cowboys were bad that game, too. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I mean, to me, it's I feel like we're just kind of over overrating everything, and then if, and then, and then, of and course then once he gets it gets hurt to the in the playoffs, playoff he yeah, glass bones and paper skin gets up, <laughs> which is what he's made <laughs> yeah, of. I, gets injured first quarter and have to bring in God McCown and and save the day. The, the fact that. Doug Peterson is already having to say that there's not a quarterback controversy is not a good sign because I, I don't, I don't think that they should be replacing him with Jalen hurts. I don't know that hurts would really be that much of an upgrade at this point, but the fact that that's already a conversation three games in the season is not good at all for the Eagles and their fans. I'll admit, I don't know what to think of Wentz because I think he's talented, but he, he's just injury prone and he, in my opinion, he doesn't have the greatest uh, coaching staff. I wonder what he'd be like with maybe better weapons as well. He's had good weapons in the past, but I don't know. Alshon's hurt and Dallas Goddard's now hurt. Ertz has is, is been okay lately, but he hasn't been as good as past years. It's fair to say that maybe Wentz has just been a victim of bad circumstance when it comes to his offensive line injuries and not having strong weapons because of injuries, but... No, there have been other quarterbacks who have been able to overcome that kind of stuff, and you know I'm not ready to write off Wentz just yet because of that. But it's it's still it. I'm not writing him off. He, he I'm, doesn't I'm, I'm, he doesn't look like the kind of guy that he was in 2017 by any stretch yeah. before that ACL injury. Yeah, I I agree. All right, let's uh let's wrap things up for NFL talk with uh the two. <laughs> Do we want to say the two worst teams in football they in could, New York, the be. Jets and the Giants? They could be. You no. Know, so let, let's start off with the Giants because they played the one o'clock game. They they played earlier against the 49ers. And the 49ers were playing, what, like 10, 12 backups as starters in that game. All the injuries they had. I know you sent out the, uh, the stat that 40% of their salary cap was hurt and didn't play in the game. And... So I watched Daniel Jones look competent against the Steelers. I watched the Giants almost make a comeback against the Bears. And I said, you know, I I think that the 49ers have a talented enough roster to beat the Giants. But I think the Giants are good enough to do this. I I thought that they were going to win that game. I also agree with that. I don't think the Giants are this amazing team. But when you combine the fact that the Niners are missing all these guys – and like I texted you, 40% of their roster yeah. wasn't even playing in, or 40% of their salary. Their salary, which I meant, was yeah. was not even in that game and, and injured. The Giants should have competed a lot better in that game than they did, and they were just pitiful. 36 to 9. I don't, even like, without Saquon, you should still, you still should make it a game. It's There's no shame in losing, yeah. but losing by that much. Yeah, there, there's a little. It was one of, if not the worst games of Daniel Jones's career. I mean, through the first two games, there were people who were saying, "Oh, should the Giants tank for Trevor Lawrence?" And I'm like, "Why would they give up on Daniel Jones? Like, I know that he's he hasn't looked amazing, but I feel like he's looked competent enough that he could potentially be their their guy, like their next Eli Manning." After this week, though, I think that there's a lot of reason to be uh, reserved about a- Daniel Jones. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. That was just not a good performance at all by the Giants. And now I don't think that they're going to continue to lose every single game. I feel like this is the kind of team that's going to put it together somehow, get to four or five wins maybe. 
but this was a really bad showing. And I, I think it's crazy to suggest that the Giants are maybe the worst team in the league, but at the same time, it's not. I think I think Daniel Jones is I don't I don't think he's fine he's 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 okay uh, but yeah he didn't have a great game this past past Sunday no and in terms of my um my reservations about the 49ers you know after the the first week I said that they should be the most worried just because of all the injuries and I mean I think at that point it was just Kittle it was before the whole team went down and against the Jets and before Jimmy Garoppolo went down. Uh, but they 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 blew out the Jets and the Giants, so I think that's good for them. Uh, I'm not gonna say that Nick Mullins is better than Jimmy Garoppolo, or that there should be a quarterback controversy in San Francisco. But I will say that Nick Mullins and what he did, albeit against the Giants, what that team was able to do this week, doesn't justify paying Jimmy Garoppolo all the money that they're paying him. I mean, I, I think I think uh, Nick Mullins could have done the same thing in that NFC Championship game by just handing off to Mostert <laughs> yeah. seventy-seven yeah. times and and just be the handoff machine that Garoppolo was in that game. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that Mullins should be their quarterback moving forward. I still think Jimmy, when he's healthy, should be the guy. But I think that's just another example of why maybe Jimmy Garoppolo shouldn't be paid what he is to be their quarterback. I would also agree. I I like Jimmy, but yeah, the money they gave him was crazy all right and uh you know let, let's talk about the other new york team the jets do we do we have to <laughs> <laughs> their their offense they went into hyperdrive this week as adam gay said and they they started off <laughs> with the pick six and that was your hyperdrive we did an over under segment before the season started I'm yep. loving my under seven on the Jets. I remember seeing yeah. that line. Seven wins for the Jets? Really? Seven? They're bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember last year we were all relatively high on the Jets, and it just felt like, okay, they have too much talent to not be competent. And, you know, this year they lost a little bit of that talent, but it still was like, okay, Sam Darnold, like this is the year he's going to break out. And no, that, that doesn't look like it. He's... Two pick sixes. <laughs> like it got to the point where the Colts, so they're up 31 to 7 with eight minutes to go. Now, 24 point lead with eight minutes to go, it, it would be considered a miraculous type comeback, but that's not an insurmountable lead. And the Colts were already putting Jacoby Brissett in the game for Phillip Rivers because it's like, yeah, against 25 teams this isn't insurmountable but against the Jets this is there's no chance they're going to come back. <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious that they decided they decided the winning team decided to put their backup quarterback in and in, in garbage yeah, time. It, and it, it was like way more than just garbage time and in in reality uh, the fact that the the Colts starters were cheering for the backups like it was the fourth preseason game <laughs> that was a quote from Ryan Clark that I'm stealing but it's just it, it was it was just so sad just seeing that. And when I'm, I, I am not going to say that Daniel Jones should be replaced with Trevor Lawrence, but if the Jets really get to the point where they can get Trevor Lawrence, do it. Sam Darnold has to go. I think Sam Darnold sucks. And I love that. I remember his first game, it was against the Lions on the road. And yep. he had this Matt one first game. Yeah. Too. He had one really nice pass to Robbie Anderson for a touchdown. And everyone was just pants off. Oh, this guy's the next yep. big thing. I remember. I remember. Didn't they win like forty five. Yeah, to but that was because like the that? lines were just abysmal and 
yeah on offense and they had multiple turnovers and it was bad especially for Matt Patricia but I remember that game vividly and think people thinking oh this guy's gonna be so good and I I just loved it because I, I didn't think he'd be this bad but he's he's not very good and but I also think a combination, a part of that is a combination of the coaching staff as well, because Adam Gase is so bad. Oh, too. Adam Gase. I mean, you want to talk about coaches on the hot seat. Adam Gase. If the Jets lose to the Broncos on Thursday night football, I don't know how Gase keeps his job. Dan Quinn or Adam Gase. It's one of those two. That's going to be first. Yeah, I, mean, I think it it makes sense based on the timing, having 10 games to go, especially knowing that um, Greg Williams, as interim coach of the Browns, he was competent with them when he filled in for Hugh Jackson I absolutely could see that happening where Greg Williams takes over and the Jets are maybe not 500 down the stretch but at least win some games to the point where you're like okay maybe there is something here with Sam Darnold Uh, but I I remember watching him uh, when he was I think his junior year at Southern Cal it was either sophomore or junior it was his second to last season in 2016 um, they beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl like 52 to 49. It was Sam Darnold versus Saquon Barkley, just uh, ultimate offense game. And I was like, yeah, Sam Darnold, this this is like a really great quarterback. And, you know, the, the longer we've gone away from that game and the more I've seen him play for the Jets, the less and less I'm thinking that he can, he'll ever amount to be anything. And it's like – it. If if the Jets can get Trevor Lawrence, they have to draft him. Do what the Arizona Cardinals did, and they are dangerously close to having to pay Sam Darnold. And you're going to pay him for what he's doing right yeah. now? No, I I think they they if they're in a position where they can't legit where they're they're good enough, however you want to define that, that they can't replace him in the draft with Trevor Lawrence or some other like reasonable top guy. I don't know if there's going to be another guy who emerges and you're like, this is a, a solid day one starter as a rookie. Then, you know, he has, he has that fifth year option. Maybe it's not immediately that you have to do that, but it's getting to the point where the, the Jets need to start thinking about what they're going to do about his contract. Even if they don't get the number one guy they, or in Trevor Lawrence, they could still get Justin Fields, right? He might be number two. I mean, I'm saying if, if the if the Jets fire Adam Gase and um, G- Greg Williams does enough to get this team to be like five and eleven, six and ten, and they end up with like the seventh or eighth pick, I don't know who will be on the board at that time when it comes to quarterbacks. And they might be in a position where it's like, all right, we got to give Darnold another year, and then next thing you know, this team finally goes seven and nine, and they end up paying him, and they're stuck with Sam Darnold being like the the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL when he hasn't even finished five hundred in a season. I think if they have the number one pick, they should just move. I they, they I agree with that. I on. agree. I think the only way the Jets actually have the number one pick realistically is if they keep Adam Gase throughout the season, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but you know, it's they could end up to the point where they're they're close enough that uh, they they really do need to make that kind of move to be able to get him somehow. I agree. All right, uh, let's let's uh, let's move on now and talk some MLB postseason as uh, we the sport somehow was able to survive their 60-game season despite having two teams have to cancel games for multiple weeks because of COVID outbreaks. Uh, They're constantly double-headers throughout the season, and uh, they didn't play in a bubble, but 
baseball made it work and uh, we have the playoffs. And I, I think we got to start off by saying that our teams, the Red Sox and the Pirates will not be competing and never really had a chance, even with a 16 team playoff field. I mean, what a horrible year for the the Red Sox. They, and do you remember, remember in January and February where they, before the season's even started, it was already over because they, they made they that they made that trade with yeah. with the Dodgers and got rid of Mookie Betts and mm-hmm. David Price, which I think was, in my opinion, addition by sub- subtraction. I agree. I I liked moving Price, but I didn't like moving Betts to make it happen. And, and and I remember at the time I didn't hate it as much as you because I I don't I just don't think paying that much money is really worth it, even for someone like Trout. He's like the one guy where I. You could make a case it's worth it, but I really, I these those contracts just never pan out. Even halfway through, like they they already look bad. I mean, there are so many exa- examples of it. Bryce Harper, that's isn't that one isn't looking great. Albert Pujols, I can go on forever with the the amount of names that the amount of players that have not worked out panned out with with the giant contracts. No, I mean, I, I understand that. I feel like Mookie Betts was one of those guys where you, you pay him early and you deal with the consequences later. Uh, that being said, I don't know if having Mookie Betts would have been enough to save that. Their, Red starting ro- their, their, their rotation, their, their rotation was, was Evaldi and four Jags. <laughs> it was so bad, I, I honestly had to Google the the rotation. If you, if you gave me a bunch of random names and said that they were in their rotation, I would just believe you. I really, w- I really had no idea... <laughs> Outside yeah. of Evaldi, who was in their rotation? I think the third game of the season, I got the alert for the, the Red Sox game started, and I had no idea who the starting pitcher was of that. I don't even remember who it was. I think it was an opener, so that was probably why. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I checked out of the Red Sox so early this season because it was just like even when they expanded the field, like I think either the I think on opening day when the the Yankees played the Nationals that day they said that there were going to be eight teams making the playoffs in each league I was like I don't know how the Red Sox still get in they're not they're not going to be close to the top eight and of course they end up finishing with the fourth worst record in the league the second worst in the American League which they throughout the season it was Pittsburgh one Boston two and the Red Sox won enough games down the stretch that they wound up with the fourth overall pick which could be they, the difference between they, they, a, an elite pitcher they and, didn't even else. handle that part of it right once they got to <laughs> August and September okay the goal is to tank and yeah go up in the trap and then they just win win some games they couldn't even handle that the losing part of it right by the end yeah, uh, just I'm a- pretty sure the Pirates were in like last place in the overall standings like the entire way once August 1st started, and they almost blew it at the end. But it, it's like when I look at the Pirate season, it's like there there are a few things to be happy about, but nothing happier than getting the number one overall pick. And you look at the Red Sox, and I don't know what's going to happen in terms of the baseball draft right now. Vanderbilt's Kumar Rocker, and then I don't know his first name, but Al Leiter's son. Those are the two guys that are supposed to be the two best and then there's a high school shortstop who's happens to be committed to Vanderbilt that's the top three uh and then the Red Sox end up with the fourth pick so I, I don't really know what's going to happen obviously things could change if college baseball ends up being able to have a successful 2021 season the draft's nine months from now but yeah that's <laughs> the Red Sox ending up with the fourth pick instead of the second or third or potentially even the first it feels disappointing too so one thing I'll say about the Pirates was 
They promoted Key Brian Hayes on September 1st after the trade deadline. He's a number two prospect in the organization. And in the month of September, he went on to have an 11-24 ops, 376 average, 682 slugging, five home runs, 17 runs scored, led all rookies in ops, batting average, and slugging. He's going to be a stud. I mean, I already knew he would be phenomenal on defense, and his hitting in that first month of the season totally shattered any kind of expectation I had for him. Like, he might win... He's not going to win, but he might receive NO Rookie of the Year award votes this year and still be eligible for the award next year because he didn't have enough plate appearances. So I'm uh, I'm very excited about Key Brian Hayes, and I hope that him and you know the number one overall pick and some of the other young Pirates guys and whoever else Ben Sherrington is able to to acquire get Pittsburgh back to the playoffs relatively soon, back back to where they were when Andrew McCutcheon was was in the MVP race every year. In terms of the in terms of the Red Sox. We can trash them as long as we want, and with with the trades and the rotation, and JD Martinez was bad this year as well. He's ta- he's definitely regressed uh, pretty badly. But I guess the one bright spot was the guy that they got back in the one of the guys that they got back in Nick the, Pavetta. Oh, the I, Philly trade. Oh, or- I was talking about the Betts trade with Alex Verdugo. Oh, Alex Verdugo. Yeah, oh, okay, he had yeah. a. Pretty half decent year this year, over 300 yeah. average. Oh, he was solid. Six home runs, 15 RBIs, and four stolen bases. I mean, in a shortened season, that's for the expectations that he was that he had mm-hmm. after trading one of the best players in the game. It's that's pretty good, especially during a pandemic. Are you all in on bringing back Alex Cora as manager? Abs- that absolutely yes. I yeah. I especially as a Patriots fan, <laughs> I don't really care about that stuff. I just, just bring him back. I, it, it happened. It was, it was a mistake for sure. I mean, but, I'm of the opinion that he was scapegoated to save the players and that Alex Cora is less guilty than uh, he I, was made out to be in that report. I don't so. want the Red Sox to bring in some Joe Schmo random dude, Ron Renicky kind of mm-hmm. guy. I, yeah, I, no, I agree. You know you that gotta, Alex Cora can gotta, have success with this team. You got to bring in someone that the fan base really knows and care and would would care about and would respect. And if it's not Alex Cora, I don't know who it would be. I don't like the idea of Pedro or Big Poppy or Veritech. The one guy, <laughs> the one guy yeah. that I've been reading into in terms of replacements not named Alex Cora. I wouldn't mind Mike Lowell because he's actually bilingual, so he can relate to the a lot of the players in the Latino players on the team. And, and he was asked, he was reached out in terms of the managerial spot after Cora was fired. And he said, he, he, he said, I would do it if Alex Cora can go back next season. So I don't think it's a great long-term option if, if, if Mike Lowell really meant those words, but like, I don't think that's a bad backup option, but honestly, it's really Cora or I have, I'm not, I'm probably not going to like the option, whoever it is. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think it, it has to be Cora if he's unsuspended and, and proven that he can he can come back. I, I think that kind of blew him absolutely. Has I mean, to bring I him mean, back. outside of outside of that, which is really bad stuff. But outside of that, is there anything bad to say about Cora? I mean, maybe he was a little cocky after the World Series win and said, that, "Oh, watch, we're going to even do better this year," and they end up being <laughs> atrocious, yeah. and then he ends up losing his job. So it couldn't have been any worse, but. I don't think I, that I, there's I, any negative outside of that. I, That's the only reason why he got fired. I, so. I, I still like Cora, and I know, and I think yeah. ownership does too. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I, I think it's going to happen. So we'll see. For now, let's focus on the 16 teams that were actually good this year and made the playoffs. So interesting playoff format for sure. Major League Baseball trying to make up some of the, the lost revenue from not having fans in the stands by having just more playoffs on TV. So eight teams in the American League, eight teams in the National League. And uh, the way it works is all three division winners get in. Uh, all three second place teams get in and then two wild cards. And in the first round, they're doing best of three matchups totally at the home site of the higher seed. And then for the league division series, so ALDS and ALCS, they'll be played in Los Angeles and San Diego, NLDS and NLCS in Houston and Arlington with the World Series in Arlington. So given all that, let's start with just these first round matchups. Now we're recording on Tuesday to this point. There have already been a few games played. I'm going to try to keep some of my talks to where they were before they started while also recognizing maybe things changed a little, just given the outcomes of three game ones, just because when you're playing a best of three series they could be over in two games, it's very possible that uh, if you listen to this later than Wednesday, that some of the teams we are high on and talk about are already long gone from the playoffs. So that being said, uh, what, what is your biggest storyline of this postseason? <laughs> I, I, I don't even know. Uh, maybe the Padres, the way that they've been playing and uh, the how the young guys, including Tatis, have done. And I remember, I remember thinking when Machado signed with the Padres that it was such a bad move for for Jimmy Butler to the Heat. Asked, right? Yeah, exactly. And just <laughs> it's just one dude and a bunch of guys. And I I didn't think, and I know they had a good farm system, but I didn't expect big things. But they've been pretty. They're not. They haven't been the Dodgers, but they've they've been good, and I I think they can make a decent run. Yeah, I wish we recorded an episode before the season started, just so we could have like these preseason predictions, like officially on the record. I thought the Padres would make the playoffs. I thought they'd be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this expanded postseason. More teams to get in. They were a team that kind of felt like okay, they have a long ways to go to be in the top five, but they could certainly reach the top eight. And they would have made it in a normal field. They're the four seed. They get to host the St. Louis Cardinals in uh, the first round before, you know, with a win, they could end up facing the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NLDS. And I think that a Padres-Dodgers series would be very exciting. San Diego kind of feels like Dodgers Jr. with all the talent they have on that team. Uh, that being said, to me, the, the biggest storyline is, can the Dodgers finally win the World Series? Because seven years in a row they've won the NL West, and seven years in a row they were eliminated either you know in the World Series, losing to the Astros or the Red Sox, or even earlier in the postseason. And this team went 43-17, and 17, uh, and they were easily the best team in baseball, the team that everyone thought for the whole time was pandemic proof, that they could survive all of the craziness of a 60-game season. To this point, it's happened. Can they survive the craziness of a 16-team postseason format? I personally think they can and they will, uh, but it, it'll be really interesting to see if, you know, in this format, if the Dodgers can continue to play like the best team in baseball that they are. Would you feel comfortable with Kershaw? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's another thing is like, so Clayton Kershaw has not been great in his postseason career. And then if you look at their two best hitters, 
Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, neither of them have postseason success either. And that's a big part of the reason why the Dodgers have struggled to achieve the ultimate goal of winning a World Series for the first time since 1988 is because their star players don't play like the stars they How are. How great the is that? They add bets, which is great, but he's a guy that has not had po- yeah. any postseason oh, I know. success, and that, and which is what that the was a need. reason. That was a reason to be reserved about signing him as well. I think that that's a fair thing to say. Like, hey, he's great in the regular season. Let's see him do something in the playoffs. I'm ready to see Mookie Betts do something in the playoffs. I, I've been a huge fan of Mookie Betts throughout the season in LA. I'm excited to see what him and this Dodgers team can do in the postseason. So, what's your uh, most interesting first round matchup? Hmm. Uh. All right, so for my most interesting playoff matchup, I'll go with the Yankees and Indians. These are two teams in the past that have contended. We've see, we saw the Indians make the World Series back in 2016 and lose in seven. We've seen the Yankees knock on the door many times, but have lost to the cheating Astros. And there's just a lot of stars in this matchup with Jose Ramirez and Francisco Landor on the Indians. And then... For their rotation, yes, they don't have Clevenger anymore, but they do have Shane Bieber, who's been good. And then the Yankees, we know about their lineup with with Judge and Stanton. And uh, and then Voight has actually been arguably like one of the best players this year. Yeah, Luke Voigt's been awesome this year. I, di- I didn't expect that at all. Like Out of all the players on the Yankees, I did not expect him to be one of the uh, like contenders for MVP, people have talked about. Yeah. I think Yankees Indians is a good pick here. Um, they they were my my backup, uh, but I mean, in addition to Shane Bieber, Carlos Carrasco, and Zach Plesac, it'll be really exciting to see that Cleveland uh, pitching staff go up against that Yankees lineup in a, a matchup between two teams that I think are more than capable of making a run all the way to the World Series. Uh, but for my most interesting matchup, it's also a arguably best pitching versus best lineup and it's on the national league side with the atlanta braves a two seed going up against the cincinnati reds a seven seed so the braves had arguably the best offense in baseball they averaged 6.7 runs per game in the month of september it was inflated by a 21 29 run outing against the miami marlins but they still a team that's just absolutely loaded of course ronald acuna jr is a star freddie freeman is a likely mvp candidate marcelo zuna had a huge bounce back season there even guy like adam duvall was a home run machine for them especially down the stretch so i'm loving this idea of just seeing what the atlanta offense can do against the reds and particularly their frontline rotation with trevor bauer who uh, in my opinion, deserves NL Cy Young Award. And then Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray. That is a three-headed monster for Cincinnati. I'm really excited to see what can happen with that Reds pitching staff going up against the Braves offense. And then on the flip side, the Braves starting rotation is pretty weak, which is incredible because Max Freed, their game one starter, is a Cy Young candidate. And then from there, there's just a huge drop-off, losing Mike Soroka to a devastating injury, as well as Cole Hamels certainly doesn't help that team and they're going up against Cincinnati Red squad that had a 212 batting average the worst ever by any playoff team and the second worst batting average by any team in MLB history since the 1910 Chicago White Sox and Adam, it's been 110 years and Adam Dunn is not on the Reds anymore 
with the, <laughs> with no, that, it's with that average. Yeah, it's, well, that's that's kind of funny you say that because they have a two two twelve team batting average, but I think they were fifth in the league in home runs. Almost all of their runs just came from hitting home runs. So basically, their lineup the, is Adam Dunn everywhere. Yeah, I mean the Braves did such a the Braves did a decent job this year of being able to keep the ball in the park too. So I think it'll be kind of what can the Reds do? But when you look at the Reds stats, so yeah, their batting average was terrible. Their batting average on balls in play was two forty five. And if you look at the major league average, it's always around 300. 245 is the worst by any team since the 1968 Yankees. So the Reds offense is, has been historically bad, but also historically unlucky. So I think they did much better down the stretch, and that's what helped them go from a team that was considered a trade deadline potential seller to ultimately in the playoff field. So uh, to me, this this Atlanta-Cincinnati matchup is very tantalizing as kind of your your best offense versus best pitching staff and bad pitching staff versus bad offense we'll see what wins out all right uh a few more things so biggest winners and losers of the 2020 postseason format so my my biggest winner and loser are tied together so as part of this format we knew basically the whole time that it could be more advantageous to be the three seed than the two seed because if a third place team in one division was better than a second place team in another division, you could end up with a bad matchup compared to a team that you finish higher than, which is exactly the case in the American League with the Oakland Athletics and the Minnesota Twins. The A's and the Twins finish tied in the standings. The A's get the tiebreaker and their reward for the tiebreaker at 36 and 24 is facing the 35 and 25 White Sox, while the Twins the same record, lower seed, get to play the 29 and 31 Astros. Now, at the time of recording, both the teams lost. The Twins lost game one to the Astros, 4-1. to one. They gave up three runs on the top of the ninth. So doesn't look as great of a matchup as I thought. Uh, you know, of course, the Astros are still the Astros, but they were certainly worse this year than they had been. And the White Sox on the flip side, they they could have easily won the AL Central down the stretch. Instead, they end up as a seven seed. And what do they do in their first game against the A's? They win four to one with Lucas Giolito taking a perfect game into the seventh inning. So uh, to me, the A's really unluck, got unlucky with this matchup in, in a normal five-team playoff field, the A's would have played the Twins right away, and they would have been able to avoid the White Sox, who would have faced the Indians in the wild card round uh, with the winner taking on Tampa. So to me, they're the big loser in Minnesota being able to start off with Houston. If you're going to have to play one of those games, I think taking on a team that went 29-31 and 31 should be advantageous. We'll see if they can win games two and three. I'll go with the Miami Marlins. Cause Is your biggest winner? No, biggest... <laughs> Biggest loser? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, explain that one. Well, because they, they that's a team that wasn't expected to do anything, and then all of a sudden, with the shortened season, they were a team that was able to make the playoffs, and in a regular year, they, were, they definitely wouldn't have any shot of making it. And then they finally make it to the playoffs, but their matchup is versus the Cubs of all teams. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't love that matchup where you got to face Hendricks. And you got to face Darvish, who's been prob- arguably one of the better pitchers, best pitchers in the league for the past year or two. And yeah, even though he's, he's had awesome postseason, postseason woes, especially when he was with the Dodgers, but he's here against the Astros. I, I I don't love that matchup for Miami. Just the fact that they 
the the starts of their season with the COVID situation where they had their outbreak and they've been this joke of a team for several years and they all of a sudden they make the playoffs and they get a team that's as loaded as the Cubs in the first round. I don't I don't love that as as for for their for their sake. So I would say they're the biggest loser. Uh, do you want me to get- so I actually really liked, yeah, real quickly, I really liked the Marlins coming into the season. Uh, I feel like I'm the least shocked person that they actually were able to make it to the playoffs. Now, the Nationals, Mets, and Phillies, all disappointing, certainly helped their cause. Um, but I, I agree that the Marlins having to face the Cubs isn't a great matchup. Here's a fun stat, though. Most successful team in postseason history across any sports, the Marlins have never lost a playoff series in franchise history. Because they've only made the playoffs twice, and both years they won the World Series in 1997 and wow. 2003. I wouldn't have guessed that. I I know they won the World those the World Series those years, but I didn't know that those were the only years. Yeah, it's it's a I know it's a stretch to truly say that, but it, it is pretty remarkable um, how they when they get in they win. So I don't think it'll continue, but it would be it would be amazing if, if the Marlins end up winning the World Series this year. All right, who's your big winner? Uh, I'll go with the Rays just because that they have a rotation, uh, that's really, that's been really good this entire year and they get to face a team that, that they're very, very familiar with in their own division and Toronto Blue yeah, and the Toronto Blue Jays. And how do you, do you like their offense in particular? Which one? The, the Toronto, the Toronto Blue Jays offense. Um, I mean, I, I think they have a lot of exciting young players. Like Vlad like Guerrero Jr. Vlad Guerrero, yeah. Cal- Kevon Biggio. I just, I just all these guys. Like I just don't kids. think their offense is good enough to to beat the Rays' rotation. In any, yeah, I mean, in a three the Rays series. is the number one seed. You know, they they shouldn't in a normal year be in this position where they have to play a best of three series in the first round. But I think Toronto is a great matchup because it very easily could have been the Yankees. So I think, given the format, that's that's absolutely fair to say the Rays were the biggest winner. So, all right, um, let's uh, wrap things up with some predictions. So, do you want to give your your first round predictions and across the leagues? Yeah, I'll go. So, Tampa versus Toronto, I'll go Tampa. Uh, Cleveland versus Yankees, I'll go Yankees. Okay. Astros, Twins, I'll go Astros. Even though they they had a losing record this season, they just they just benefit from from the fact that they have this all this playoff experience and the twins they anytime they're in the playoffs they just get swept and they don't really do much so i'll go with the astros and then the a's white Sox. i'll go with the a's i maybe this billy bean uh version of baseball where it cons i mean every team uses analytics now but i mean i think the a's can squeak out a win uh so i also like tampa but i i think cleveland Minnesota and Chicago all pull out wins. So opposites there. Uh, and then for the uh, National League, I'll go Dodgers over the Brewers, Padres over the Cardinals, Cubs over Marlins, Braves over. So I'm just going straight up chalk. Yeah. Now that I look yeah. at, except Astros. And well, so Astros and Yankees the, are their lower seeds, yeah. but like I, I feel like most people would pick those teams. If I had to guess, the the Twins have lost seventeen straight playoff games. So, even though the Astros are twenty nine, I think most people would still take the yeah. Astros. Yeah, so I'm probably going straight um, chalk. 
Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, in the National League, I, I also like the Dodgers, Padres, and Cubs, but I'm taking the Reds. I'm going with their pitching over the Braves offense. Atlanta sports Atlanta, teams just Atlanta can't have does, success, right? I know Atlanta chokes big time, but I, I still think with after their heartbreaking series loss to St. Louis last year, maybe they're going to be a little bit extra motivated for the playoffs this year. So I think they could at least win one series. All right. Who's your uh, World Series prediction um i've i've said it for i think the past few years and it hasn't worked out i'll so i'll stick with it i'll stick with the dodgers uh winning the world series over who uh the yankees so the the two teams that i don't want in the world series (laughs) with the with everything with all the crap that's gone on this year what could be worse what could make this year even worse having the the last two teams i want to see in the world series be in it where I can't even figure yeah. out who, which team I'd root for. I mean, I'd, I'd root for the Dodgers, but I wouldn't feel great about it because I'm not I'm not a huge fan of them. But like, I, I, I'm I'm a fan of their talent. But in terms of rooting yeah. interest, like I don't like them. No, I mean that's fair. I don't have anything against the Dodgers, but I would have no I'd have no issue rooting for them over the Yankees. Um, going into the season, I said Dodgers over Rays. I'm going to stick with that. I know it's the baseball playoffs, and that upsets and craziness happen all the time. The two one seeds haven't met in the World Series since 2013, when the Pirates or not the, Pirates, so, the, the Red Sox and the Cardinals did. But they were there. They were your World Series prediction before all this. this season. Yeah, before all this, I thought the Rays were the team that, and they're had the, the one best seeds. Chances. So yeah, they're the so one the two seed. Teams I know that you were highest on were the the two yeah. teams that have have been the most successful this year. So I would I don't blame yep. you. Yeah, no, I I feel I feel pretty good about what's happened to this point. Um, in terms of teams, like if I had to go with not necessarily sleepers or like someone who who do you who would you say is the biggest threat to the Dodgers? Uh, Let's stick with the National League. For yeah, now. I, that's what I was gonna do. Um, yeah, because I assume you'd say Yankees in the World right. Series, but Cubs or Padres? I guess I'll go. Yeah, I mean Cubs would be a popular choice just because of their names on their team and their past success. So I'll just say Padres just because it's a little sneakier. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Padres are a similar f- team to the Dodgers that I could see them pulling it out, but I, I just feel like the Dodgers are better at everything than them. Um, I know I picked the Braves to lose to the Reds, but I think if they survive that, that team is just such a loaded offense, and their bullpen is so much better this year than it was last year. I think if they can survive that starting rotation and make it work, that um, they're a talented enough team that they could give the Dodgers a run for their money if they were to meet in the NLCS. So... All right, that'll wrap things up for our MLB postseason preview. Uh, right before we call it a day with this episode, I know it's it's one of our longer ones. Let's talk a little Stanley Cup Finals. Tampa Bay Lightning won it all, and uh, all I gotta say is I feel really happy for the Lightning because they've been so close in recent years, and for them to finally win it, especially after last year losing to the Blue Jackets as miserably as they did, I think it's pretty cool that they were able to pull it out. So I don't know how you feel about the Lightning. I don't. I don't mean. I don't feel great about it just because I think if if it wasn't for them, I think the Bruins would have had a real shot of winning this year. But yeah, no, once that's, that's once the Bruins, I, I had this in my bracket. Once the Bruins and Lightning were a matchup, I I, I wasn't feeling good about it at all. I, I when you combine t- the Tampa Bay Lightning's talent and their motivation after what happened last year, I I thought mm-hmm. they were just going to roll over, which is kind of what they did. I know. I know they had a couple of six game series, but they never had one seven game series in the entire postseason. And they had had all these overtime games that they were they were the team that 
came out on top and I, I just I, their their core is so low so loaded and so young at the same time it's like not only do they win this year but they could win for they, they could be like the penguins or the blackhawks where they can compete for multiple yeah. stanley cups their best player i, I shouldn't say their best player because their best player is victor hedman but they're one of their best players and their leader and Steven Stamkos, he played for two minutes in the entire <laughs> yeah. Now he made the most of it because he scored a goal. Yeah, he scored a goal but, in that time. But he didn't even play. They didn't even need him and they won. That's yeah, scary I to know. think about. They had they had the best uh then we have they had an MVP in last year in Nikita Kucherov. They have the be- they had the best goal scorer this the postseason brain point. And then they had the best player in Victor Hedman who won the con smite. And then Probably the best goalie in Vasilevsky. They're so loaded and so good. And that's why I picked them to win it all for years now. And I finally got yeah, it right. They finally did. I, I, yeah. I guess uh, cliche, a broken clock is right twice a day. But <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, they're good. And I, I worry, as a Bruins fan, that worries me. Because they're, they're nowhere near as good as Tampa when they're firing. Quote, cliche, firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean they they have been so good every year. Every year it feels like they come really close. You know, last year they it was just an epic disaster getting swept by Columbus. But before that, they made the Eastern Conference Finals. I think like three out of five years or something. Yeah, they lost to Washington that, in twenty eighteen. They, yeah, they lost to the Pittsburgh in twenty sixteen, right? And they lost to the Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup Finals right. in twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Lightning were they were knocking on the door for years. Um, I I. When I look around the rest of the Eastern Conference, there are so many other teams that I really just don't like that I'm like, okay, if the Penguins aren't going to win, then the Lightning are, are a team that Wait, I'm happy you, you, with. You, you weren't comfortable rooting for the Capitals? No, no. I, <laughs> I hate the Capitals. I hate the Flyers. Like, I, if, if anyone is going to come out of the East, at least in terms of those powerhouses, like if the Florida Panthers were to make a surprise run, then obviously I'm not going to have a problem with that. But like given the teams, especially the four that had that um, buy into the the round of 16, the Lightning were the team that I was pulling for. So I'm, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Seams and Samkos. It kind of sucks that he was hurt on this whole run, but it was really cool that the, the Lightning made sure he was the first guy to, to hold the cup. Do you put an asterisk on their cup? Yeah, well, that's the next thing. I do not at all. I, I think it's ridiculous that people are saying that because, first of all, it was a level playing field. Every team had four or five months off between their final regular season game and their first playoff game and every team had to deal with the same kind of adversity of you know having to go to a bubble isolate from their families play on a neutral site with no fans I I don't think there's an asterisk on this and I think it's ridiculous to suggest that like I think the bigger question is is this more difficult to win uh and I I almost gotta say yeah like given all the circumstances and all the time off and where these teams are, like we know mentally how hard it can be on some of these guys. We saw that with Tuka Rask and he wasn't able to make the most of it. Uh, I think that it's absolutely a legitimate Stanley cup title for the lightning. And especially the fact that they were one of the best teams throughout the regular season. It's not like some team just showed up to the bubble and got hot. Like I don't have any issue with crowning them Stanley cup champs and them flying a banner like they normally would. I completely agree with everything you just said. Uh, there's nothing. They were the one of the best teams, if not the best team, even coming into all this, and mm-hmm. and they won it all. And and yeah, and I 
totally agree that you can make a case that it's harder to win in this format with with everything going on than a normal year where you got to be away from your families for extended period of time like months and uh, yep for at least for multiple three months i mean they all got to the bubble in mid-july like you said there were players well really just tuca who can be a mess Uh, he was the one guy that couldn't handle it but hey there was a guy that really was concerned about his family and Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Bruins players were not resentful of Tuca, so they understood that, which means, yeah, it's it's hard to win a Stanley Cup, and, but also being away from your family uh, as long as they had. So, And they were the best team, in my opinion, and I was right about – felt pretty right about that. So I think it's legit. Um, so I think that when I look at this Lightning Stanley Cup championship – uh, an immediate comparison I think of is the Virginia Cavaliers men's basketball team losing to 16 seed UMBC and then winning the national championship the next year. Which one do you think is a more remarkable turnaround? Probably Virginia because they never even made the final four and they've, they've had a, not just that's that one loss to the UMB, UMBC 16 seed, but they've also had some other crushing defeats. They lost to Syracuse in the lead eight. Lost to Michigan State at one point in the Sweet 16. They've had other bad losses. I mean, well, those aren't like bad, bad losses, but they weren't even the final four. At least Tampa, they were really knocking on the door uh, of mm-hmm. of winning a Stanley Cup, and they made they made a Stanley Cup, and they, like you said, made multiple Eastern Conference Finals, and just and lost to just really good teams. But Virginia, they were known as a, a really bad tournament team and they and then they really put the icing on the cake by losing to being the first team to lose a 16 seed as the number one overall seed coming in mm-hmm. and and then all of a sudden they win it all next year so i i would say that's the more remarkable turnaround yeah i i i agree with that i think that the comparisons are there with the lightning being the best team in the nhl i think did they have the most points in a regular season history they were certainly they, up yeah, there. Yeah, they, they won like sixty-one I don't know for games, sure, but right? it's up there. It's up there. Yeah, it, it was. It's incredible, like how great that team was, and for them to be humiliated like that in the same fashion as Virginia. But I do agree because Virginia, you know, they what have playoff players. Ass, <laughs> each yeah, year. what playoff success the Lightning had? Like the Virginia had even less. Like just constantly being bounced early one seed every year and never making it to the final four. So I, I agree with that, but I, regardless, I still think that both of them had totally That's a good remarkable comparison. I didn't think of that comebacks. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, I mean, last question is, is there any doubt that the Stanley cup trophy celebration is the best trophy celebration in sports? Oh, I, I love this. I mean, last year was not great, but <laughs> yeah, but, no, that's fair. But, I didn't but, enjoy watching the Capitals, so. but but I do enjoy the Stanley Cup celebration. Yeah, just everyone, all, all the guys, just handing it off, all wooing, the, ca- the yelling f bombs that hand- NBC Sports can barely cut the off. The handshakes like. and then trophy presentation of the MVP, and then the captain getting it and going around the rink. Yeah, that's it's. It's the best trophy and celebration, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Doc Emmerich telling you every player's career story and why you should be happy for them that they won the cup. Like, that's you can't beat it. I I made sure to tune in for that one, even if I didn't watch every minute of the series. So, 
All right, long episode, Brian, but we made it through. Hopefully, uh, you were entertained as listeners. That you know, if, if even if you weren't fans of the MLB and NHL segments at the end and stuck around, you at least enjoyed our NFL and NBA talk at the beginning. We'll uh, we'll be back eventually with uh, more more NFL, more NBA as we uh, you know, recap what goes down in the NBA finals and uh, you know more sports throughout this. They're hopefully here to stay at this point. So for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone.